Hey gang, Hydroberg here, Cut Above Horror Review. It's week three of our Women in Horror Month, and tonight we are honored to have Nicole of the Light and Shadow podcast on for her 10th appearance to discuss 1975's The Stepford Wives. Domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. Episode 138 of A Cut Above, starting now. Cut my life into pieces! Good evening, and welcome to A Cut Above Horror Review, a podcast where we review all things horror. I'm your host, Jacqueline, and tonight we'll be reviewing The Stepford Wives from 1975. But first, let's meet everyone else on the show. First up, it's John. How you doing, John? Hello, Jacqueline, Hydraberg, and Nicole. Uh, we'll get to her in just a second. Um, guys, I, I gotta be honest with you. This has been like a very rough season for me i don't know if it's like moving from san diego back to the pacific northwest but man i <laughs> it's been a rough like like sickness season for me i feel fine my throat's a little off my my sinuses are filled up but um i'm good i'm very very good um yeah. you've been a little sicky boy the past few weeks oh, i have really i mean it's ridiculous boy. i'm a little sicky let boy. me play the violin for you you've been oh, sick <laughs> Oh, shut up. I want my baba and my blanket. That's what I want. <laughs> a heated Aww. blanket. As well, I'm sitting on a heating pad, making fun of you. Oh, my God. <laughs> my Did something happen to your ass? <laughs> why are you sitting on a heating pad? Yeah, why are you sitting mobile. on a I have like a pad. stiff hip every once in a while. So I, I, if I'm sitting on the okay, chill on the couch, man. I sometimes put it. Yeah. I'm old. Anyway, John, I'm I'm sorry that you've been sick, but I'm glad that you're not feeling too badly tonight. I, I, I'm really not. Um, excited for tonight. Excited to have Nicole back on. Heidsberg, Jacqueline, love you guys. But um, go ahead, continue. <laughs> and next up, we got Heidelberg. What's going on, Heidelberg? What's going on, guys? How are you guys doing? Ladies, what's going on? John, oh? I'm glad you're toughing it up. So you can Like how you said, ladies, how's it going, John? Oh, John. <laughs> oh I'm shit. trying to include everybody. Okay, all right. And last but not least, it's our uh, honorary fourth member back with us again. Thank goodness it's Nicole. How you doing, Nicole? <laughs> I am doing great. I am happy to be back. I'm happy that it's Women in Horror Month. Woo! Congratulations on your 10th appearance on A Cut Above. This is it. Is it 10? Oh, this is it. This is 10. This I is checked. 10. I double checked. Yep. No, you get shit. an autographed picture of us as a mm -hmm. reward. <laughs> I love it. It better be in the mail. I, I'm, I'm expecting it now. It's going to have like a gold seal on it or something. Ooh. Yeah, the seal of approval. Yes. Like COA with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hydroberg will write a special reach around just for you. Yeah, the 10th reach around. All right. What? I'll be the looking for it. 10th appearance reach around. Yep. Damn. Get cracking, Hydroberg. All right. Maybe I can write it by, by the time the show is over tonight. Yeah, we'll just talk for a while. You can just be strangely silent and yeah. work on that. <laughs> you can, can write it some... while the women are talking. Yes. Mm. We're just going to mute ourselves like during this episode. <laughs> Nicole, uh, can I say that your episode with Jacqueline on Silent Hill was like, to me, one of the best episodes I've heard in podcasting? Because I didn't, and I mean this with the utmost sincerity, is that the way you could take a movie that was, you know, made for a, a, like a video game movie and the way mm -hmm. you guys dived into that was so beautifully done. Nothing made me want to rewatch the uh, film again. It's in my queue. On Same. Yeah. Well, thank yeah, I mean, you. 
Yeah, I mean, like, like for me, I'm, I'm not a gamer, but I did have like a PlayStation Two and PlayStation Three, and I played the games. Yeah, it's cool. I did watch the movie. I was very excited about it. But I mean, the way you guys dived into it was so beautifully done. So well done, Nicole. Thank, Thank you for you. having Jacqueline on. And I, I think it was a perfect movie for women in horror month. Yeah, well, Malaysia, it, uh, if you will. I have. I just I've had a soft spot for that movie for a long time, and I I haven't really heard a lot of like in depth discussion about it. Yeah. So. I was happy to spend a little more time on it. And anytime I have Jacqueline on, she helps me. She helps me uh, dig deep and find the good stuff, you know. I feel like it was totally the other way around. I feel like I was completely following your lead on this one and that all the insight came from you. Um, Because this was a movie you were super familiar with. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to understand, at least for me, on the first watching. Um, It's a lot going on. And so I felt like I really was following your lead on like what kinds of stuff to look for and, you know, the the kind of topics we were going to get into with it. I loved talking about it with you. And I, I you made me think about it in a way that maybe I wouldn't have if I hadn't if I had just like watched it on my own for no particular reason. But um, as you said, I, I love any opportunity I get to talk to you. Um, I don't know. I, I always feel like we're kindred spirits. I- so. I enjoyed it. I, I've played a good chunk of the games, and um, I, I thought the conversation was great that you guys kind of uh, branched off into all the themes of the film and broke down the film uh, and its themes more so than anything like video game related. Like you were talking mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, the themes of motherhood that play throughout, mm-hmm. and I thought that was really interesting the way you brought that up and um, just everything about the film, the, the the religious part aspects too. And it was a cool episode, like you had said, Nicole, that you were able to, to use both uh, your religion and horror um that yeah. specials that you've been doing and your women in horror month uh, and can kind of combine them with that yeah. and i definitely want a nice crossover it. and yeah I think that was too, perfect i've found that i also think that uh movies that are really female centric but that are made by men is another like kind of little niche that i find really interesting um mm. like the descent is the same way it's like mm-hmm. very female centered but created by men and this movie the movie this we're one. talking about tonight yeah. Same thing, very female centric, but created by men. So I think there's there's like a, there's an interesting dynamic and like interesting things to talk about in those movies. Agreed. For sure. Yeah, I I just wanted to give you a plug on that. Light and Shadow Podcast. Go check it out wherever you get your podcast. But man, the Silent Hill episode really got me. I, and it was such a wonderful discussion. And Jacqueline, I honestly didn't think that you were gonna like it that much. You know, Nicole, I didn't realize that that it kind of was near and dear to your heart, but Jacqueline, you not being a gamer, I mean, to me, that, that that's what the movie was. It, it was more of a, you know, gaming type thing. But you guys just brought out so many other themes that it really was tackled. I'll actually say, so, though, this movie's plot sort of has its own sort of theme to story to it. That's not uh, agreed. Really. It's yeah, it has so to be it by name be... and setting, but it's definitely got its sort of its own story that the games didn't have. So. so I've never played the games. And as you said, I'm not a gamer, but neither. it didn't similarity feel it didn't feel like. A, a screen version of a video game mm-hmm. like it, it just didn't feel that way to me it felt like its own thing and anything that I didn't understand I don't think was due because I read a little bit about the video game and the stories behind the video games themselves and it sounds like the plot of this movie was intended to like mostly be separate from the games so that you could follow it as its own entity and not have to be familiar with the games and so that that worked for me um you know i didn't feel like like if you hadn't if nobody told me that it was based on a video game i never Mm -hmm. would have suspected that it just felt like it's like a normal horror plot like that Mm -hmm. you might see in some other movie 
And anything that I didn't understand about it, I think, was just due to like very intricate plotting that I think probably requires multiple viewings. But I feel like Agreed. I said I don't know a lot <laughs> on that episode. One thing I do know <laughs> in the games, I don't know that you guys had mentioned if there was like a setting to the, like the amount of time that would pass throughout the day and then the setting would change. I don't it always felt random in the games like there were just random moments where the fog would roll in. And when that happened, the you know Silent Hill would flip and. You'd get the um, more nightmare. Well, no, no the in the if I recall correctly, in the game, you would actually hear that horn, and then that's what it's turning into the you, the hellscape. With the fog, yeah, I think the fog yeah. would roll in, and you hear like that horn. You, it was a great use of music that you used too in your episode uh, from the movie. Oh, thank you. But yeah, I, I, I second John. It was really good. Yeah, Thanks, guys, so much fun. Feeling so the love per usual. <laughs> Nicole's the best. I love all right. Shadow. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to sidetrack everything. Okay. Hey, we love a love fest around here. Yeah. So it's okay. So glad to have you back on and excited to talk about this movie. So, yep. Uh, first, John, do you have any horror news for us? What's new in the horror world? God, I, I it's low hanging fruit, and you guys are going to be like, Brumch. Rob Zombie. Mm. You've heard of his music, you've seen his movie. Never heard of the guy. Has this- you. Bob Rombie. Who's this? Zob Rombie. Zob Rombie. Um, there is a. Uh, it looks like a Kickstarter from Trick or Treat Studios to create House of a Thousand Corpses as a board game. Yes. Hmm. That'll I get vote me. yes. Sure. I will donate. Send me a link. Where is okay, it? Okay, so. Uh, Take my money. Uh, uh, what they're saying, Trick or Treat Studios actually claimed it as being the Firefly family, and you got to go through this board game. Um, I think can I be the fish boy? Uh, piece oh, fish boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess it's starting later this year. They're just trying to get funds for it. So be a chicken bucket, one of them. I don't know. I I, I think I think House of a Thousand Corpses has become like like uh one of the cult classics. You know, same with uh Devil's yeah, Rejects. But but it's like like you know this movie can actually live on forever, whether you liked it or you it's didn't. Become like a it. cult classic for sure. Yeah, and same with so. uh, same with Devil's Rejects. But I mean, like, if they're capitalizing on this, you know, Rob Zombie was all about it. He re- he re Instagrammed it or whatever, shared it. Yeah. Um, well, it had a limited uh, theater re release recently for its like twentieth anniversary. Mm-hmm. And a color oh, did it really? Yep, in theaters. Yeah, I did not right. get to go see it. I think yeah. it played it here in Jacksonville, but um, yeah, I didn't get to see it. But yeah, there was a re release just last year, so there's still an audience for it. No, These absolutely. Kickstarter games are cool. I have a buddy who uh, he hosts our D and D games, and he's really into board games. And he buys a lot of these Kickstarter games, and they're really cool, man. They come out, you know, it's not just like they're taking your money and sending you like this crappy product. Like, there's a lot of love put into some of these these projects that these people uh, crowdfund, or you know, uh, it's pretty cool. Do, do we get a free pint of Tutti Fucking Fruity? That'd be I awesome. should hope so. <laughs> Although yeah. that's from Devil's Rejects, not I know. It, I, technically, I know she probably would have been eating it in the house. If you were to look <laughs> in the fridge in the Devil's Reject in the House of a Thousand Corpses, there's probably at least one. That's very true. Fruity in there. So my only question great, is, uh, like, like a perk for the supporters, yeah. like Fruity yeah. fucking Fruity. It's a it's a great marketing marketing tool for sure. Mm. Yeah. How about like a ten dollar gift certificate to for Ben and Jerry's or something like that? Yeah. yeah, or like KFC. Uh. <laughs> KFC should sponsor this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Captain Spaulding buckets for just like a limited time. Mm. Captain Spaulding crunch. That's my serious. only question is: Would you guys yeah. play this game with me? 
Yeah, I would. I would. 100%. I would. Fuck yeah. I would. Only if Rob Zombie plays with us. You know what? We love Rob Zombie. We give him so much shit, and we have since the beginning of the show. Speak for yourself, sir. Listen. All right. So, so I com- confession: I have never seen House of a Thousand Corpses. What? Just being in the horror community, you just you absorb a lot of stuff. So, like, uh-huh. I feel like I know it very well. And I will say, the year that they did the House of a Thousand Corpses uh, house at Halloween Horror Nights, it was my favorite house that year. I would hope and so. Right, I think, see how it started, right, Jacko? Well, like because it's like it's just the the visuals and the imagery, and it's iconic, and there's so many creepy things. So I think, yeah. I endorse it along with Jacqueline. I'm here for it. Nice. Nicole, at some point, we're going to have to have like a girls weekend and just like watch movies nonstop. And um, that's got to be on the list. Mm. Sure. I'll you can pick all you, the rest. Jacqueline. No girls night is complete that. without a Rob Zombie film. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's self-evident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great news. I'm actually thrilled to hear that news. And I, uh, I, you know, I thought it was very interesting because it is a very slow news week. Um for horror movie news. Okay, guys, I, I'm going to open this up to the crowd. Okay. Christopher Nolan has did a recent interview saying that he's open to making a horror movie. Okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's looking for the right script. He's looking for the right premise. Mm-hmm. However, and this is like off the cuff. I know that we've seen a lot of like reboots or remakes what do you think Christopher Nolan would be best at as far as like remakes? He wouldn't, do, I, he wouldn't do a remake. I don't think though. Uh, no, 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 I mean, no. maybe, I, I, but Nolan's such I'm a just saying, originator. Uh, and Heidelberg, I, I agree with you. I'm just saying that hypothetically, what horror movie do you think he could take to like a whole different level? I mean, I don't have like a remake, but I have a Hell different Razor. idea. Is that okay? Can yes. I give you my sure, idea? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Lovecraft short story at the Mountains of Madness. Yeah. But it's huge in scale and it needs a visionary. Del Toro is going to make it. Yeah. Del Toro, he's not going to, the man's going to die before he makes it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's that's my answer. I would say (laughs) at the Mountains of Madness. No one could handle those kind of projects. I love that. Yes. That's a good answer. It's it's a really like unwieldy kind of weird story. It has a tiny little bit of like, Prometheus vibes, the alien mm-hmm. movie, yeah. like just yeah, a yeah, little yeah. tiny bit. Um, but yeah, and it's not like it's not like uh squarely horror, but it's got it's got plenty of horror vibes, what? but it's also like supernatural sci-fi mm-hmm. adjacent, mm-hmm. you know. So I, think I the feel prestige like prestige is like a good vibe. Oh, if he went further movie. dark, you know, because that movie has a darkness to it that mm-hmm. you can almost say that's the closest he'd maybe come mm-hmm. to doing a horror film already. Um, and because like at the Mountains of Madness is also like huge in scope, he can do mm. his whole IMAX six miles of film thing. That's a good. That's <laughs> it's a good appropriate. Yeah. I'm know. just gonna side with good Nicole pull. and say, yeah, we're gonna put good that pull. one. Yeah, put my, my piece in yeah. Nicole's side. Team Thanks. Nicole. How about, how about you, Jacqueline? Well, my first thought was it's got to be something kind of brainy, you know? Yeah. And so my first thought was something like David Fincher, like, but it's, but then it's like, but David Fincher already does yeah. it so well, like yeah. it doesn't need to be remade. But I, my first thought was something like the game or seven or mm. Zodiac, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like he would do Very that thriller material that really blend. well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. More thrillery mm-hmm. kind of brain, cerebral type of things. Um, but Fincher already does them so well that like Nolan doesn't need to, but I feel like that's the type of material that I think he could I mean, if he did like, yeah, if he did like a serial killer sort of uh, film investigation, sort of, you know, that would be a Zodiac or seven. Yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, my first thought was actually the game because it's so complex and cerebral mm -hmm. and yeah. I love that movie so much. And again, movie. not squarely horror, but thrillery mm -hmm. and, you yeah. know, dark and sort of horror Jason. Apparently yeah, sure. somebody is already remaking the game. Oh, yeah. shit. Who? Well, wait. I, I saw a headline the other day. I can't remember. David Gordon Green. <laughs> Don't oh even gosh. joke about that. I Sorry. Oh. Now, if it were somebody we like him Nolan, out. now if it were somebody like Nolan, I could get behind that. But if it's like some schmo, then look at this world we live in, where Christopher Nolan might be doing a horror film. The Cohen brothers are doing a horror oh. film. I just can't wait. Well, I mean, their first movie was kind of like almost. Well, I mean, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that they have. It's actually surprising me that they haven't done one already. More, to be honest, well, they... I mean, there's there's a there's an undercurrent of darkness. I think in like in almost everything they do. Like to me, Barton Fink, I think I've said this before, but like Barton Fink actually kind of really creeps me out. Mm. That movie kind of fucks me up. It's one with Tim Robbins, right? No. It's got John Turturro, John Yeah, Goodman. Turturro and Goodman. John Goodman? It's, yeah. it's John Turturro. Yeah, he's the main character. Yeah. yeah. What is um, Tim Robbins in? I thought he was in one of their films. Maybe he's in it. I don't know. I just know that... Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. Wow. That was, you just pulled that right off the top of your head. I did. Pretty I'm good. sorry. No, that was pretty good. I've been sick all weekend, so you've been right. watching every movie ever made. I have. So all the information is like right up here. Fuck, I, I watched Ringu again this past weekend, and that was fucking awesome. Nice. Oh I just God. bought the 4K uh, limited edition of that. The OG one on the way here. Ringu? Yeah, the OG. Yeah, it was on sale. Oh. So my question, I got a bunch John, of stuff on sale recently. Yes. My question is: OG or remake? What's what's better? They both have their they, they both have their uh, positives. Seriously, I mean, I I think it was a very well done remake. By the way, yeah. nobody asked me what Christopher Nolan movie. Or oh, movie. which you, Christopher yeah. Nolan? No, what would you Sorry. like to see Christopher Nolan do as a horror movie? High tension. Okay. Oh. High tension. Mm. Oh. He could no, probably pull off the ending. Yeah. Dude, I I, I think Ooh. I think that's he could do better. Yeah. That's the weakness of the movie. I, uh, and again, That's not giving a anything good away. Point. Yeah, I, I think weakness of the movie is like once you see it, you're like, this is this yeah, kind of falls sucks. apart. You can't yeah. like, you can't like, what's that like retrofit it, you know, mm -hmm. and then make it make sense. Like, it you know what? Sense be, when you... you ever see Time Crimes, the Italian film? I think it's Italian. No. It might no. be Spanish. Oh. I made uh, Straight Chillin' cover it. It has to do with time loops. It's no like a, it's like triangle. Mm. If you've like ever seen the movie Triangle, yeah, tri yeah, yeah, it's very similar to Triangle. It's you almost it. exactly oh. the same. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. Okay, John, that's no, a good I, idea. I, that's a yeah. That's a I mean, good idea. Great like idea. for me, it's like a French extremity movie. I mean, I was thinking Martyrs because they they did an American remake yeah. of that. I don't know if you guys seen that, but that would like that I was told not fucking, to see it. So. Would not. It was terrible. One day I, I mean, think we should do a marathon of just all the gr the horrible remakes. We'll just do like Martyrs and <laughs> just, all those ones um, that people. We tell could do you that as a theme month. We could yeah. do that as a theme oh, month God, and take the hit. For, just suffer for a month and just take the hit. The lowest the download crappy. month of ever. No, I'm just kidding. It can't be any worse than uh, New Year's Evil. We could do it. We could do it in November instead of November. It's like terrible remake month. <laughs> yeah. Who says I don't have a second November second annual November planned already? Oh God. Yeah. Who says I haven't oh, been scouring God, the internet, no. the internet night and day looking for films with unibrows <laughs> in them to feature? Oh my God! Don't roll your eyes, Jacqueline. You had a blast. I, I did, but I'm just saying. I think that the uh, we'd run out of material. You know how I could tell you're rolling your eyes because you have your eyebrows separated in the middle. So <laughs> yes, I've I just, ah! wax, I just waxed. <laughs> mm. No, I think I think high tension would. I think that's, that's a good. Idea. I, I think it's almost primed to be remade, mm -hmm. and a guy, a, a director like Christopher Nolan, or or even um, 
Oh, what's her name? Issa. 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think she would like do a really, really dope remake of that Mm -hmm. or reboot of that movie. Mm -hmm. Like, as much as that sounds cool, we're taking two creatives that are, I prefer them just to do their own. They're too creative. Yeah. It's cool. What if? But it was a fun thought experiment. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I mean, it was just kind of a a fun thing that that if you could think of a movie that they I'm excited for her next project too after wrapping up True Detective. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. Well, those Anyways, are good news stories. Yeah, that's yeah. all I had. John, you've been coming just... up with these cool little like uh, things to play here. And I like there. it. News, I like it. Thanks. I like it. Yeah, I dig it. Yep. Thank you. All right. Well, you guys ready to talk about the Stepford Wives? We are. Mm, yeah. Yes, I am. Congrats. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank you. I've been programmed to say yes, whether <laughs> I want to or not. <laughs> so, Jacqueline, this is your pick this week for Women in Horror Month. Does the Stepford Wives of 1975 fuck or suck? Well, why'd you pick it? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah first, I'll right. explain Sorry. why I picked it. Um, yeah. Sorry. So I picked this movie because I felt like this year, I felt a little bit freer to choose films that weren't just made by women, mm-hmm. um, but films that explored, you know, female-centric themes and feminist themes. And this is a movie that I have always loved, just like many other uh, films that I've mentioned or that we've covered on the show. I first watched this movie with my mom. Um, she showed it to me when I was in high school. There's like maybe 10 or 12 films that are kind of all-time classics that I watched with my mom as as a teenager that are kind of like my gold standard. Like they're kind of the foundational movies of my horror taste. You know what I mean? And this is one of them. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about Carrie and how that was my first big girl horror film. Um, the Stepford Wives, I'm sure, came not too long after that one. So this is this is kind of like a foundational horror movie for me. Um, I think it's really rad that my mom and I watched it together and talked about it together. And I'm I'm sure we watched it more than once over the years. Um, it's just a movie I've always loved, and it's it's one of those that I saw so early in life, and I've seen it so many times that it was very difficult for me to try to watch it with fresh eyes. And so I'm really interested to hear specifically what you Nicole have have to say because I know this was your first time watching it. Um, I don't remember what you boys history was with it, but I'm, I'm interested to hear about that too. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it as well as, as Ben, but um, yeah, it's like so close to my heart that it's a little tough for me to step away and look at it objectively. But um, yeah, so I just, I just wanted to pick, oh, and also the other reason is just two summers ago, I finally picked up the book. Uh, which I had never read before. And so I I picked up the book in the summer of 2022. It's really short. I mean, I read it in just like a few days. And I <laughs> I was in North Carolina for the summer. And I remember I was just like texting you guys when I was getting to the climax of the book. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is so scary. Fuck, you guys, oh, this book. And I'm sure that you guys were like, okay, stop texting me. God, when will she leave me alone? So <laughs> settle down, right? Um. But I just the the book just like blew me away, and so I've I keep intending to do these book talks <laughs> on our show, and it keeps not happening. So I thought, well, the next best thing is to pick the movie and put it on our schedule. So that's why I picked it. That's yeah. my long answer. <laughs> All right, now I'll jump to Jacqueline. Since you picked this movie, does a Step of Wise from 1975 fuck or does it suck? Hmm, I'd have to say. It fucks like a master, a champ, mm. a king. Oh yeah, right there. It fucks. Mm. <laughs> right there, champion. 
You stud. <laughs> yep. Nicole, does this movie fuck or suck? Um, this movie fucks, and I don't think I can follow that up, so it just fucks. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty okay. good. I didn't even think of that one. Thanks. Uh, John, what did yeah. you think? Does the Stepford uh, Wives from 1975 fuck or suck? Oh, this was like a wet fart in white pants. Oh, no, you said 2000 and 1975. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry. Wrong movie. Uh, this movie absolutely fucks. Um, uh, my first experience, real quick, was the remake with Nicole Kidman, Matthew Broderick. What a piece of shit that movie was. Do not go watch it. This movie kept me entertained throughout the movie. I could not believe this movie was fucking PG. I know. It, There's it, not it, much it else was? to go. It's PG. Yeah, it was. It yeah. is. They're yeah, this, breasts. They say bre- they're, they're, they're I know. They're through and the something. thing was, it, 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 it pushed that PG-13 almost into R. But man, I was so entertained throughout the movie. So yes, uh, you know, without being cute about it. Yeah, this movie fucks for sure. All right. Hydraberg, what about you? Does it fuck or suck? Uh, I'm going to be cute about it. <laughs> okay. You always are. Yeah. You find yourself across the bar from this woman, a woman who's giving oh you the eyes God. as she cleans the bar. Now you go to, <laughs> you go to her home where you hook up. <laughs> she makes you a sandwich and leaves you alone, does your laundry and then lets you play your video games in peace. This is close to a perfect fuck. <laughs> oh. I'm amused and enraged. I'm yeah, just, I, 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 I would say that our estrogen levels just like went way up, and you're you're dead at the end of this <laughs> at this podcast, dude. You better watch out. I know. Mm, <laughs> they, no. they can reach through the screen and just tear your larynx out or something. I'm just kidding, guys. I know, I know. That was very clever. Yeah, that was clever. All right, uh, John, you scared me for a second. I was like, oh god. It's a wet shit I, I, white I, pants. What'd you say? A wet fart yeah, in white before, pants? Before we move on, that was um, the remake was my first experience with yeah. it because I did hear that it was a remake and I was I was kind of interested in it and I watched I it. I've I'm seen like, some of the remake. I'm aware I, of this film through pop culture. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I don't remember a lot about the, the remake from 2004, but I mean, it just seemed, uh, God, it was so bad. I'm just like, what the fuck are they doing here? So, so real quick, John, was this yeah. week your first time watching the original? Very first time I've okay. ever watched the original. And Hydraberg, was this week your yeah, first time? Yeah, this is my first time watching this. Whoa, Whoa it was all y'all's first Stepford time. Virgin. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Okay, then sure. I'm extremely interested to hear everybody's opinion at, coming at this for the first time. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, drop the spoiler warning so that we can get into it, John. You got it. Uh, spoiler alert. We're going to be talking about the Stepford Wives, the one from 1975, not that piece of shit from 2004. Uh, tell us how you really a... feel about it. <laughs> yeah, it was okay. Was it... It, it was a fuck. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll be talking about this movie in its entirety. If you have not seen this movie, pause the podcast, go watch it, then come back to find out what we thought about it. All right. Hyderberg, do you have a plot summarizing reach around i said that I completely do. wrong do you have that thing <laughs> i do i got that thing thing i got that thing on me <laughs> okay are you guys ready i'm ready <clears throat> from the noisy city to a small town the eberharts move walter hoping joanna settles into the groove so that his job and his family transition real smooth as walter goes to work joanna attempts to fill her days with more than just cleaning and household malaise pursue her own hobbies safe from male gaze This town to Joanna lacks a strong female presence, 
most of them subdued by baking and presents. Their husbands hardworking, they deserve their events. So a committee was formed, a meeting of the minds. The leaf that hid Adam, made of leaf and some vines. But Eve was not perfect, she got out of line. So a more perfect vision for God's flawed creation, dreamt up by Diz at his workstation. As Joanna and Bobby research information, for reasons behind the behavior of the women in town. Almost always smiling, never do they frown. Always cleaning, baking, and wearing a gown. A husband's dream, if you know what I mean. A wife that doesn't talk back, cooks and cleans. Never says no when asked the obscene. Joanna can't stay here each night she sleeps with the enemy. The threat of being turned into a lifeless possession, the loss of identity. These women are broken much more than mentally. I'll just die if I don't get that recipe. The tension rises to the score. Household chores are such a bore. I am woman, so hear me roar. Joanna fights till the end, never giving into the struggle, but is killed and replaced by her synthetic double. A woman with free will will only get in trouble. Next scene in the market, all the women living their lives, including Joanna, we see in her eyes, no longer in charge of her life, now a doting member of the Stepford Wives. Oh, man. Well that was done. amazing. That was deep. Well, oh my well God. done. Oh, my God. Thanks. It made me mad all over again. Yeah, same. <laughs> I, I feel I like I, you got to go places with this if you're going to yeah. talk about this film. That yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. They're touchy subjects for sure. Yeah, not yeah. mad at yeah. you. Not mad yeah. at you. No. Um, yeah. This is an interesting movie, though. Uh, I had never seen it, and I can see the parallels between the writer. He did Rosemary's Baby, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I can both... see that just with the way we set up with the film and in, in the city, the housewife at home sort of bored with her day to day. She has a hobby, photography. I like the setup to, in the beginning. It's familiar, but um, also I thought it was interesting. They show her taking pictures and she's taking mm -hmm. a, I didn't catch it until I just kind of rewatched the beginning again before we casted. She, the guy's carrying a mannequin, a female mannequin. And I just didn't like see the parallel of like him carrying a fake woman. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then at first, when you're first watching it, it just kind of goes past you. You're not like you don't see the symbolism. At least I didn't. Mm -hmm. Well, later when she sees when she first sees that couple in like the backyard next door, um Happy it's birthday, it's almost know? the exact same like gesture oh yeah. like that the the guy on the street that had with the mannequin and then the two people she sees in the backyard like it's almost the exact same mannerisms i was like ooh, it's a nice little detail mm -hmm. oh the way ted is hold like goes up yep. and kind of gropes his wife yep later it's very okay. similar it's like from behind yeah he's like holding her from behind it's very similar yep so i mean my question to all of y'all is how much, because Heidelberg, I think you said earlier that, that you were aware of this movie just through pop culture. And I, I think this movie has become very much a part of our, <clears throat> not just film, but pop culture mm -hmm. or even societal vernacular. Uh, you know, people yeah. use the term Stepford casually in conversation in everyday life just to say, oh, I don't like that town. It's too Stepfordy or like, oh, mm -hmm. she's such a Stepford wife. I don't really want to be friends with her. And you know? I know what that and, like, means. Everybody knows, right? It's like a shorthand. Yeah. And so... Um, I think everybody has at least some degree of cultural awareness of like what Stepford is a shorthand for, but how much were each of you aware of the actual story? Like how much surprise was involved in this for you? Like what were your expectations like and how did watching the movie meet or not meet those? Well, I, I, I mean, I guess my, my experience with the movie was that it was just a misogynistic movie or, or set up to be misogynistic that, you know, you're subservient to your husband, you know, and the thing was, is, you know, I've never heard the phrase step or whatever it no. was that, that no, I never have, 
um, maybe where I grew up, you know, on the, on, you know, Southern California, that it wasn't like that. Um, but watching this movie, I think, you know, this original was so much more impactful when it came to that, that, that it's just like, you know, you have this husband that actually seems loving at the beginning of the movie. And then all of a sudden kind of turns and he's like, well, I don't think I like that too much. I, I, I think, you know, I like somebody subservient. So, I mean, I think this, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, I just thought that, that, you know, a really portrayed, I, or, or the story build between Joanna and what was her husband's name? I'm Walter. sorry. Walter. Walter, that that it it was just it is very even and, and and you know they're doing this together, and I love the build of the character of Joanna. You know, it's just like you don't realize what's going to happen to her at the end. You think that she's going to get away or or something's going to happen, but like with the characters that that you know the the husband Walter just seems like okay, he's buying more and more into this. Did, did you get the vibe that he really wanted a wife like that? Yes, I get the vibe that any man that moves here has already, like, they've been approached about this okay. lifestyle, right? And then once yeah. he got there, he just had to be kind of coerced into, like, you're sure you're going to do this, right? Like, we're drawing yeah. up the plans to make your new wife now. You have to, yeah. you know what I mean? So he's kind of uh, being brought into the fold with the committee and everything. And well, well, and like for me, the first watch, I didn't get that. I thought he was he was very loving towards his wife. And, yeah, know, I didn't see. I didn't see that. There was a. He felt like he didn't have patience for her when they were leaving the city, and she felt like sort of like they just kind of show Ambivalent. her. She doesn't really have any drive or anything because yeah. she doesn't have a place. It feels like she's raising her kids, but other than that, she doesn't have an identity. She's her photography is her thing. You know what I mean? And then he's taking her away from the city, which I'm sure has lots of, you know, opportunities for photography and stuff like that. But also, so does the countryside. Um, but he just, I don't know, their their relationship never felt loving to me, honestly. So that's the that's thing is like, to me, that's one of the most upsetting things about the movie is that Walter, I think, at first comes across as like a relatively modern like on the surface he seems like kind of a modern husband and you know they seem to have a good relationship but you start to see cracks in it because at one point she gets frustrated with him and she's like you pretend to include me in these mm -hmm. decisions but i always find out that you've already made the decision so why bother asking me like it's it's not just starting to happen she says yeah, it's a thing. you know you ask me if i want to move to the city and i find out you've already been looking at houses you ask me if i like this house and i find out that you've already made an offer mm -hmm. you're asking me about the men's association and, and clearly you've already joined so why bother asking me and so it feels like this might be kind of symptomatic of marriages kind of like post 1960s women's lib uh, where like the cultural norms are shifting and like men are aware that they're supposed to like behave a certain way like it's certain things are becoming less socially acceptable than they had been so I think like there's an act that Walter's putting on he's trying to like fit this idea of what a modern 1970s man a more like, sensitive he, man you know he's supposed to like be more understanding and supportive of having a free-thinking wife but that's that's I think what is extra scary about it is that like a man who can seem supportive and equal minded like to treat his wife as an equal minded person really under the surface 
has the same old fashioned desires and expectations. Yeah. Even, mm -hmm. even in this new society, which at the time this was like, this was an uncomfortable period in history where like, you know, in the late sixties, you have like uh, the civil rights movement, you have women's lib, you know, there's still Free a lot rights, of transitioning yeah. happening in the seventies. And it's, I think there's still a high level of discomfort among men at this time as to mm -hmm. like what their role mm -hmm. is supposed to be. And I think this is very much like an expression of that. And yeah, like yeah, the fear, the fear that like underneath it all, they're just the same old men and they want the same old thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they're threatened. Um, you know what I mean? So they're like, this is their way of like pushing women back. Like, well, you know what? We're just going to throw out the old one and we'll make a new one. Yeah. And why? Yeah. Because we can. Yeah. yeah. And they say it late. I, I wrote mm -hmm. that down. I even said, mm -hmm. Jacqueline, I bet you love that moment because it's one of those moments in a movie where they were like, because yeah. you were home. That's why. Yeah, it, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I yeah. thought of. Yeah. So, Jacqueline, to go back to the question you asked earlier, um, I pretty much I knew where we were going in this plot, um, but I had no idea how we were going to get there. Like, I knew they were going to be robots and they were going to be replaced and like mm -hmm. that's what was happening. So one of the really interesting things about it is that I was still like engaged in the whole movie, even though I knew where we were going. Damn. And I found it really charming, very charming, like all the way through for lots of reasons, which I'm sure we'll get into. But to your point about Walter and the other men, to me, this movie feels really relevant even today. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. um, for for lots of reasons. Um, and I think even more than just like the women's issue, I think it speaks to people who are afraid of change and who are afraid of cultural change. And who, again, like you said, when there's like a shift and people know, oh, well, I can't, I can't, it's not really acceptable for me to say that out loud or act like that anymore. But man, I really wish things were like they used to be. Um, I think there's a lot of that sentiment, even in culture now. Mm -hmm. um, you mean so like if America was great again, maybe? Like if oh, America shit. I mean, <laughs> you, know, you know, you didn't say it. I said it. It's a <laughs> You mean when you can be um, racist out in public? I just, yeah, I just, there was so much of it that I just felt like, wow, this movie is, it was relevant when it came out. It feels relevant now. I think it'll feel relevant in 20 years for different I do reasons. Too. Absolutely. Um, and so it really won me over both through the charm and the nostalgia and how the messaging is just both of its time yeah. and ahead of its time. Yep. Spot so, on. It still works. It still mm -hmm. works. Yeah. That's a great point, Nicole. Your question about Walter, I think he knows right off the bat, too, because when he you ever see there's a knowing glance. So when he gets the casserole from Carol and Carol comes across and she's odd, obviously, because they just got there and mm -hmm. she already made a casserole. Like, OK. And there's a moment where, like, she gives the casserole, she leaves. There's a moment where, you know, uh, Walter says hi. And I think he looks at her a little bit because she's a shapely neighbor. I noticed that right away. I was like, whoa, man. Aren't they all? Mrs. Van Zandt. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have so, wild trivia about her. By there's the way. a moment later. Like right after this, where he's walking the dog and he sees Ted across the street getting the mail and he's like, oh, Ted, you know, that one can really cook as good as she looks. You know what I mean? And I'm thinking like, yeah, your model's pretty good. I can't wait to get mine. That's what it feels yeah, like. Yeah, it's a creepy, mm -hmm. overly familiar moment that like mm -hmm. if a they were really just between exactly them. like if they were really brand new neighbors and had no like yeah knowledge of each other, I feel like that that would be deemed completely inappropriate. You know, I also they never yeah. touch on it. But if this was done again, I, I I would get the sense that like these dudes trade wives too. 
like totally like they're robots so <gasps> Ooh, it's like yeah yeah i hadn't thought of that i was getting i was waiting for a moment where like this or somebody was going to be familiar with everybody's wife because he's the creator or whatever mm-hmm. you know what i mean and obviously he's a bachelor got taken for a test spin in their little test sure, room a bachelor. And... he's almost like the pimp yeah. he's almost like a pimp he is yeah. sort of yeah Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I loved the detail that he used to work at Disneyland. Disneyland. I do too. I want more of it, to be honest. Oh, I want more I'm of like, his character. That's great. Although, to be fair, like the animatronics in Disneyland in the 70s did not look like these. We're not that advanced. No. But, you well, know, he went rogue. They do point. now, maybe though. Maybe yeah. that, yeah, yeah, maybe that's I mean, why you've been on left. Pirates of the Caribbean in the past five or six years. Like, that. That really looks like Johnny Depp moving around in there. I know. I'm. I'm like. <laughs> yeah. I'm like. I. You guys polished this one up a little too much. It just is incongruous with the rest. Is it of bad that I want to fuck this robot? Oh <laughs> my god! Well, it would make sense that probably the lifelikeness of those robots have they've gone faster because of you know sex toys and stuff like that. Like creation. <laughs> yes, of I'm sure the Disney Imagineers consulted yeah. with the sex toys. It's toy the same stuff. The silicones that make this. Do they? Never they know. put one. They put one on the background of the Little Mermaid, like the little gold. Palace thing. The little mermaid. Where are you going with this, John? I'm just saying that. There's a penis. There's a penis on the castle. That is true. I do like the moment when they get to the new neighborhood and the husband mentions, uh, like, we don't even have to lock the doors in Stepford. It's something, isn't it? And I'm thinking, like, yeah, because the real danger is already in the fucking house. Ooh. Calls Ooh. coming from inside the house. Yeah. yeah like, totally. it doesn't, yeah. There's no crime or anything because... There's nothing going on in this town mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. you know, half of the population has been turned into robots. Yep. Yep. And the men are all in league together. So, yeah. Hyderberg, um, I don't feel like I got an answer to my question from you about, like, your expectations and knowledge of this movie and how much of it was, like, unexpected to you. I didn't have huge expectations. Like, I had expectations that I know it's a known property and it's, it's it's you know, pretty much stood the test of time, it feels like, since it's come out, even though I haven't seen it uh, up until now. Uh, but just the fact that it's so you know, like you said, it's in our vernacular and pop mm-hmm. culture and people just know about it. I already knew about the robots. Like I know, okay. I just don't know how they're going to get there. Okay. Like it was the how and the the why and stuff like that, that was okay. being filled out. The themes and stuff at play. I have seen some of that remake and the remake really feels like it undermines a lot of the stuff. It totally this does. Film does, right? It totally like it's does. Like comedy, it's like playing light on the, th- these are heavy themes at play at this, in this movie <laughs> in 1975. And then like you said, Nicole, right now, even still relevant, even yeah. more relevant. So yeah. yeah, I was pleased with the uh, the plot and what was going on. You know, it's got that 70s sort of slower vibe for a movie, but I think there's a lot to unpack, too, with this film. So I you have to have the relationship with uh, we'll get to it. But like Bobby and Joanne, I think that's one of the best parts of the oh, film. I love their relationship yeah. when Bobby's they are when they are drinking scotch and eating ring dings in the middle ring of the dings. day. Oh, my gosh. That's I, I like carry two goals. things with me at all times. Yeah. Tampax and ring dings. <laughs> oh. Bobby's like the best friend that everybody wishes they had. Yeah, you know, like the person who's just totally real and unfiltered, and you know, non-judgmental, and just you know, easy to be with. That's why it's like, so yeah. sad later when we see her yeah. get stepford. Well, and I loved too that they are just they are gallivanting around Stepford in their crop tops and their short shorts, Braless. their mid midriffs abound. Yes, mm-hmm. not a bra in sight. Yeah. yeah. Like, I was just like, this is so fun. It's so fun to be with them. Yeah. In contrast, too, to all the the other women that they see, especially when they start going around asking these women, hey, could you join this little committee of like a couple minutes each week to, you know, just get the ladies together and everybody's just turning them down. And you can see, yeah, yeah, like the contrast between how the women act in town and as opposed to these two girls that just met 
and that they're, they're best friends. I love how she approaches for the first time. Like, are you the uh, woman who, who misses the noisiness of the city, mm -hmm. whatever, because of the Gazette or whatever, the yeah. uh, Chronicle? Mm -hmm. She wrote one, about her, the old when, lady. One of the, um, to me, one of the most disturbing moments in the movie is when they are going around trying to, like, rally women for a group, and they run into that old older lady who's, like, clearly a local who mm -hmm. says that the town is more progressive and they're like, this town what is do you progressive. you think about the blacks moving in? There's yeah, and couple. she's like, well, we had one of the first women's lib speakers and there were 50 women there. And they were like, where do now, they all you don't go? Th I don't think she's one of them. I think she's just an older woman. They never no. converted. Yeah, I, think I think she's a real, she's a real yeah. woman. Yeah. I, think she's an, I think she's an old maid is uh -huh, what yeah, I think. Exactly. And that's why she's still a real woman. But when yeah. we find out that like, like the oh, way to go. Mm, I'm yeah. saying, hmm. <laughs> saying, if anything ever happens to David, <laughs> it's a single life for me. <laughs> same girl, same. Unless I meet Idris Elba. Yeah. Um, but, true. Well, so that's the thing. Um, in the book, they they explore that a lot more, the, the women's group that used to exist mm. in Stafford oh, cool. before all this started. And in the book, they actually have Betty Friedan visit the woman's club to give a talk. And I don't know if you guys know who Betty Friedan is, but she wrote kind of a seminal um, women's studies book called The Feminine Mystique. And mm. it's it's all about this malaise that, uh, you know, modern women are feeling in the 20th century. And it's like she calls it the problem with no name. And she's exploring this like aimlessness of life as like a housewife with no identity of one's own and mm -hmm. the book is like a manifesto on creating your own identity and it was really like a, a strong urging of um women to like insert themselves into the workforce and develop like develop themselves beyond just the home and the family and so that would that would have been huge i mean she this she was like the major voice in women's issues and i think the book came out in the 50s maybe or the early 60s maybe i can't remember the year but um, but so in the novel of the Stepford Wives, she gave a visit to that women's club, which would have been huge. Mm -hmm. And excuse me, she um, so the real Betty Friedan, she saw this film in the theater and she actually hated it, mm. which surprised me. But she called it anti-human and anti-woman, which leads me to believe that she did not see the satire in it. I think she interpreted it as a film about how. She thought the filmmaker was making a film about how he thought women should be. Yeah. And mm -hmm. she didn't see that it was a critique of the way men society. That think that way. Yeah. Of, society. Of men that think that way. Basically, like, if you don't comply, this is what happens to yeah, you. It deals with misogyny more than anything, really, right? Right. It's and, it's definitely yeah. a satirical critique of misogyny. And so I, it makes me sad that Betty Friedan, and she wasn't alone. There were a lot of, like, feminist thinkers at the time who hated mm -hmm. this movie. And uh, it makes me sad that. There's like a knee-jerk reaction. didn't get like, it. Maybe. Well, what I, I was thinking about, I was like, why did this happen? Because these were smart women. Like Betty Friedan is like, you know, a like a, a pinnacle of like feminist thought from the you know the mid twentieth century. Um, and I, I'm thinking that maybe it's because at the in the seventies there weren't really any overt like movies with this overt message. Yeah. In it that they didn't really have like a reference point for this. Whereas nowadays it seems like mm -hmm. almost heavy handed. Like it seems so obvious, mm -hmm. you know, as a satire to us now, because we've seen these kinds of themes over and over again. But I think in 1975, it was almost a novelty. Like you don't have anything to compare it to that. It 
you know, it, it didn't seem like satire maybe at that time. I'm not sure. I wasn't alive then. I didn't see it then. It's an interesting because it's satire, but it's played serious too. So it's, it's like played deadly serious. Yeah. So it's, it's oh, yeah. not funny. Yeah. No. It's not funny at all, but it is it is a, a critique. And so that's that's the only kind of explanation I could come up with for why that kind of the point was missed. I took it too that like there was a female voice in this town and then it looks like the men at some point like stamped it out like yep. slowly over time. Uh, well, that's the thing, Nicole, made... you said it's like threatening. Yeah, it's, it's like threatening. And then they started them. replacing mm -hmm. women yeah. here and there with they, they know something is wrong. But when they find that out, it's like, oh, there's definitely something. It's a shame you have to kill the here. women. The way Diz explains it almost to her later, it's almost like. Give her this life then. Give her a beefcake robot dude to go home to. You know, give 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 the women a town. But you have to. They're like, no, we got to kill the women. Yeah, it's so disingenuous. Yeah. It's so disingenuous because yeah. I had that same. They're like, He's oh, like, this is the, the better way, way for you. It's like you're killing her. Yeah, it's How not is that better, a better for way? her. It's better yeah. for Walter. Yeah, it's better for him, I guess. If that's you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, would this be the first movie where it's where it actually kind of shows you toxic masculinity? Maybe. Well, I mean, Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, Before I thought that, that too. Yeah. I, I mean, because this uh, that was also themed like that's by more the, about motherhood. Um, and no, the devil I understand. Was like but, behind yeah. all that, but this is just man. It's so just man. Did, yeah. yeah, yeah. When did Rosemary's Baby come out? Sixty-eight. Same writer too. Oh. Same. Oh, yeah. So God. Ira Levin wrote the novels that both of those movies were based on, and I gotta got say, it. like, what a feminist! God bless Ira Levin. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. you go. Seems mm -hmm. like he had his uh, finger on the pulse. You know, he yeah, understood. Definitely. It's interesting to see a man uh, write something like this and uh, something that really resonates with women. And, you know, he's not he's not a woman, but uh, hopefully it opens up a lot of uh, men's minds, too. I thought I think this movie is pretty thought provoking, even now, even though it's a dating same. film. Yeah. Same. Um, and again, you know, from what I recall of the 2004 remake, I mean, it was just like. All that was lost, you know. Yeah, you're I just think the trying message to make... is totally subverted at, in that yeah, movie. I, I mean, okay, there's some nostalgia that you know, 2004, 1975. So, I mean, it's coming out what 30 years later, and it's just like, uh, okay, so it's let's... so different, dude. I, I I agree. I mean, it's yeah. just like, okay, you can put all these famous um, actors in this movie. I mean, what Nicole Kidman's in it, Matthew Broderick, Bette Midler. Um, that mm. Midler, Faith Hill, who's not an Faith actress, Hill. but you know, a well-known singer, and mm. she's a woman, beautiful, though. yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and, and I, like... I don't want to spoil that movie, but like the explanation for what's going on is very different. You know, at mm. the end of that one, it's just like it, it, it's not the same message. I'm curious. All. In that movie, though, do the moving guys only drink beer? Are they? On... <laughs> <laughs> she's like, you guys want some coffee? No, I'm sorry, we're not allowed to drink on the job unless it's beer. It's beer. Uh... What? <laughs> what? <laughs> um. <laughs> So what it how did you guys feel about the ending? Like did you like the dark yes. ending? I actually really uh liked the dark ending very much. The, I, I, I yeah. it was so bleak. I mean it, again, you know, it, it, with horror movies or sci-fi or whatever we want to categorize this cuz it's like it it so many subgenres. Um to me it felt almost satisfying. However, I just felt this Hit in my stomach it was like that fucking yeah, sucks for Joanna because I felt like exactly. by this moment in the end I'm I'm really invested in her yeah. character. Uh, the movie's like two hours; it's a little slow going in some moments. Mm -hmm. Be mm -hmm. And but you're like, 
all right, I hope she makes it out at least. Get the kids, you know, get out of there. She's finally fighting back by then. And I think the ending, I think it could have been revealed a little bit better, just a little bit, like more of a like a shock. Uh, but I still enjoyed it a, a good bit. Maybe that's based on the fact that I have, I did know it was coming too. I, uh, right. I somewhat disagree. I, I like the bleakness. I like the fact that it no, was I like the bleakness. It, it, it was like not ambiguous because you know exactly what's going on. And, you know, the fact that, you know, they're walking around like robots was beautifully done for me. The fact that she's killed by her own synthetic. And then I noticed, too, like when the synthetics, it's you see the testing area. Yeah. That's why the men were in her bedroom to size up the room and recreate it. They took the dog so that she could, you know, assimilate with it. Um, yeah. It's so interesting to think about how it all it's plays so out. Diabo diabolical. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I think the, the ending, ugh, I think the yeah. ending is spot on. I, I love it personally. <clears throat> it's a cynical ending, but I think it's, it's real, you know, it's, it's, it's a truthful ending because I think it, you know, I think, I think this movie is sort of like a, a very literal, like horror movie portrayal of like a real life fear, which yeah. is the fear of like, you know, having this kind of suburban life, you know, choosing choosing this kind of life where you're married and you have kids and you move to the suburbs and maybe you stop working and, you know, your your identity becomes focused around something that's like external from yourself. Um, and like you're you're metaphorically afraid of becoming a robot. Right. Yeah. And you might and put so... things into your behavior to please others, too, you know, <laughs> just like these robots are sort of doing. Right. And it can feel almost like this sort of inevitable force that like, oh, I don't want to move to the suburbs. I'm going to become like one of them. A like you're not actually worried about becoming a robot. Right. But like mm -hmm. if you live if you're a city dweller, but oh, you've you know, you've had a kid or two, you need maybe need a little more space. Oh, maybe we should think about moving out to Westport or whatever. Like it's I think that's kind of a, a especially for women, sort of a maybe even a subconscious fear. But like it, this is going to fundamentally change my identity or like I'm afraid that it will. And I don't want to become like a like a suburban house. It's the fear of becoming mm -hmm. a suburban mm -hmm. housewife. Right. Like yeah. lacking an identity of your own. Right. So also if, I, if I could have a moment to to share something really personal, if you guys don't mind. Um, sure. I I've never wanted kids ever. Um, and so my whole life I've had to hear like, oh, well, when you get older, you'll change your mind. When you meet the right person, you'll change your mind. After I got married, it was, oh, after you guys are married for a while, you'll change your mind. Um, and that's something I was always really upfront with my husband about is like, this is the way I feel. I don't want kids. I said, if you really want kids, I'm open to the conversation. I'm willing to explore it if it's important to you, but it's not important to me. And so we just decided to not have kids. Um, but we did get unexpectedly pregnant, um, after we'd been married for a while and I was so crushed. I was upset. Um, and some women who are on the fence when they get pregnant, they get really excited, you know, um, for me, it was the opposite. And I think a lot of it, it was that I was really afraid that like, this is going to change my life. I have to rearrange my entire life now around mm. this thing I never wanted and I never planned for. Um, and then I ended up having a miscarriage, which was had its was this whole other set of challenges, you know. Um, you're you go through emotionally, you go through physically. So it was just it was like a big, it was a big, big event in my life. Um, and it's been over 10 years now. So it's something I've like dealt with and moved on from. 
But um, I think that's one of the reasons why I was just so upset when it happened is because I was just like, oh, my God, I'm not myself anymore. I'm going to be just a mom and our, you know, all of our priorities have to change. And all of our dreams have to change. And so um, I think, you know, what you're saying, Jacqueline, about, you know, your life being set in a certain path and not being able to have your own um, individuality is is definitely a fear for a lot of women. Now, yeah. of course, most women have children. They're still unique individuals with that are multifaceted. You know, it's not like if you're a mom, you lose yourself. But I do think that like just conforming to some of those um, traditional roles can be very scary. Until yeah, and that was harder out. to do back then as well, too. Like you see it more nowadays, moms juggling yeah, all these different definitely. things or not even having, you know, single moms mm -hmm. doing their thing without the dad. Well, yeah. When I saw that she was a photographer and that they like chose to make her a creative, I was mm -hmm. like, oh, this is really interesting. Like, I'm really interested to see how this plays out, especially because I'm a creative professional. So I really identify with that. Um, and like her trying to find... Because she wants to be a good mom and a good wife. And she, of course, she she wants to keep a beautiful house. It's not like she doesn't want to do these things. It's just that she also wants to carve out space for those other things she, that she loves. She wants to be remembered, important she says. To her. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it can be, I know, specifically as a creative, and it's whatever your passion is, it's the same. But just specifically being a creative, it can be difficult to, like, figure out you know, how, how to be, how to be two things, how to be domestic and how to still be this like yeah. free spirited artist, you know? And I feel like she feels probably like the walls are closing in too on her at this point, especially once mm -hmm. she got to Stepford. Cause then it's like, there's no going back. Like now she's in that, you know, suburban house and you know, everything's nice. She even says like, everything's perfect, but I don't know why I don't like it. Like I just, mm -hmm. I don't want to be, I don't want to complain about nice things or whatever, but there's something off. I don't know why. And I, right. I and I think that's, put a finger uh, on. in my opinion, I think that's where the horror comes from is that, that, that she's realizing that there's something more horrific here is that not saying she couldn't be a free spirit in the city, but I mean, there was something like close, like you said, mm -hmm. I mean, kind of closing in on her that she has to be this way. And it yeah, just, like, it, Bobby's like, the only person kindred spirit that she really finds. That's right. So Right. I do yeah, think that... just to touch back on the reveal of the at the end that we touched on, I just thought it was interesting that they sexualize kind of the the android, right? When it gets up, that's the only nudity in the film that we see, right? Is the android of her. Right. We never see Joanna actually nude in the film. There's no sexy time no. with her and Walter or anything. It's the robot that we see that's sexualized. And I also noticed it, are her breasts augmented on the robot? Yes. They are, right? They're bigger. I yes. thought so. Yeah. 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 Which I think I think that might be part of the reason why we got her like braless so much because yeah. it's very clear when we see the Android version of her. It's yeah. like, oh, those are not the same. That's mm -hmm. not the same set. That's uh, yeah, Nicole, you make a great point because she <laughs> she's a small breasted woman, but then all of a sudden they're like sticking out to here or like almost yeah. Dolly Parton yeah. size, you know. That whatever. was also chilling to me. It was a chilling yeah. moment. I was like, oh no. The whole scene is framed really chilling, to be honest. Well, because it's so obvious, it's like just so like unoriginal you know like uh so an interesting piece of trivia about that is that so first of all the screenplay was written by william goldman mm. who also wrote the princess bride and bonnie and Cly or not bonnie and clyde uh butch cassidy and the sundance, sundance kid yeah. and mm. all the president's men um yeah some just a you know a very famous writer and i'll, I'll go more into this later but he had originally envisioned that the the transformed wives would be hypersexualized like playboy bunnies mm. and 
the director, um, Brian Forbes, he wanted to take it in a different direction and actually really pissed off William Goldman. But he so what happened was he cast so the actress playing Carol Van Sant, you know, the brunette who like malfunctions mm-hmm. at the party. That's actually the director's wife. <clears throat> and he insisted on casting his wife in that role. And, you know, Hyderberg, you mentioned before how like bodacious she is. <laughs> um and it was deemed that she was like kind of too full figured to carry uh-huh. off like skimpy little mini skirts and sexy outfits. And so he went the other direction and had them very like modestly dressed with like mm-hmm. long flowing dresses and lots of ruffles and wide brimmed hats. And I thought that was an interesting change because I can see how it works both ways. Like you want your wife to be like super sexy. Like if you're this kind of man, you want your wife to be like hot, 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 right? But I also get like wanting your wife to be modest and po- like a lady in the streets, but a freak in the yeah, sheets, in right? Sheet. Like you wanted, to- you don't want other people ogling your hot robot wife, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so let's unless it's outside be- and she's pruning the hedges, and then you just want to grab a boob or two. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> presumably nobody's watching, yeah. right? Like it's just yeah. for you, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like you have a very kind of perfect, modern, like, ju- like modest, like June Cleaver kind of wife. That's visible to the public, but behind closed doors, mm-hmm. then she's got huge boobs, and, and then she's the the, yeah. you know, the kind of sex crazed, you know. It's weird how uh, we want to keep our women like that outdoors, but we we want them to be that way with us, just us, though. Right, you know it's like I mean? putting yeah. them on this pedestal, like oh, they have to be a saint and like mm-hmm. very modest to everybody else. You don't want like you don't want to present that. So I get I get both Even ways. The damn actually. robots are held yeah. up to a high standard. I I think there's something very. <laughs> I think it that that layer of her being covered up more is just to to me, I think it's more effective. I mean, I haven't seen it the other way, so maybe it would also be effective the other way. But yeah, just the fact that they're all just very casual and comfortable and even like the woman playing tennis and her little tennis skirt, just very natural. And then the next time you see them, they're just buttoned up and yeah, fluffy and perfect. Yeah. I think makes a really big statement. By the way, uh, the woman, the tennis playing woman, Ginger. I think Charmaine was her name. Oh yeah, she Ginger. looks. She looks like my mom. She looks like a young really? version of my mom. That's yeah. Ginger really? from Ooh, Gilligan's that. Island. Yeah, my she's mom Ginger. was. My mom was not quite that voluptuous, but she she had similar face she and like great the big red hair. Yeah. Oh I shit, Tina <laughs> Louise. Yeah, yeah, that's who the tennis. Oh my god, I saw that's her name. The movie star I, I... from Gilligan's Island. Mm-hmm. Really? Ginger. That was a movie star. I did not. I noticed it once she started. Once they sat down and started talking, I was like, oh my God, I used to have a crush on her, but I actually more of a Marianne kind of guy. But I I, I know it's like off key, but when did uh, Gilligan's Island come out? Was that 60s? 67 or 64? Okay. Yeah. All right. Man, I I did not recognize her, but yeah, I saw the red hair. I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, that's Ginger. Dude, it just popped into my head. Go ahead. Fun fact, she also had kind of a small part, small but important part in the absolutely like horrible, possibly worst movie I've ever seen, the sequel to Rosemary's Baby, yeah, which was, I was made for say TV that. movie. Oh my God. That it's I mean it's they so made bad. a sequel but she was to that it. movie. Yes. Um it's horrible. It's I mean, it's shockingly bad. What is it? Like, what's it called? Whatever happened to Rosemary's Baby? It's like what happened or whatever happened to Rosemary's Baby. It's just the is that a sequel to whatever happened to Baby Jane also. It's like a combo. I yeah, it's a twofer. Um if you want to hear more thoughts on that, go listen to my episode with Anya Gore on her podcast from oh, last yeah. summer. But uh, oh my episode. god, it's like it's insultingly bad. But she was in that. 
Uh, there's a funny joke. Walter has a moment in the house when they're like kind of getting used to the new house and they're talking about why they moved. And he's like, oh, because the neighborhood's great. And, you know, you get to warm my bum on this uh, fireplace here. Yeah. You know, we didn't have that. He's like, you ever done it? You ever made it in front of a, fi- a, a fireplace? And she's like, not with not you. Not with you. So I was like, oh, dude. Ouch. That's my girl. That's my yeah, girl. I love that. I, yeah, love there, it. it is kind of like, I don't know. I at the at the very first, I was like, these two do not feel like a couple. They feel okay. like brother and sister or something. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going on here, but. I did enjoy some of his like hapless bumbling husband, you know, stuff like that with the fireplace thing. And I was like, okay, well, maybe he's got like a good sense of humor and, you know, she's attracted to that or something. But that very quickly goes away. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I kind of wish that they had met, kept him more of a red herring for a little while. Like, cause yeah. I kind of caught the vibe right away that he was in on it. You know, maybe yeah, that's also did, the information I have going in too. I know that. Did it seem like Joanna was taller than him? Like in most shots? Like, no, like I almost... thought she was quite petite. She seemed shorter than everybody in the movie. No, I just, it just seemed like certain shots. She was almost like taller than him, like almost emasculated. I didn't notice, but that's interesting. Well, just her saying not with you, that emasculates him. Yeah. The fact that she's got a past that does not include him, I think is, adds to the like threat Mm -hmm. that he feels from her. Um, Well, and he doesn't know this, but she goes around, you know, behind his back and like meets up with an old flame to try to get information about the water. Yeah. You know, like all of that is is like unacceptable to some men. And he's like, I'm not happy too. Walter just <laughs> Yeah. Maybe maybe he wants a stubborn wife. I don't know. But um but Walter really pisses me off. I mean, all the way throughout this movie. Like, again, it's it's especially disappointing because he's trying to he's trying to put on an act like a loving, supportive husband. And when it comes down to it, he's just not I don't like the scene when she comes downstairs. Well, I do like the scene, but I don't like him. When she comes downstairs, it's late at night. He's not in bed. She's like, what's going on? She comes downstairs and he's sitting That's in his after chair. That's first meeting. Yeah. And he's drinking alone and he kind of swivels around in his chair and he's got tears in his eyes. Hmm. And of course, if you know what's going on, I don't know how much you guys felt this, but it's like, I know that he knows what's going to happen. So he's like made the decision. I feel like at that that meeting is like the final, you know, go ahead. Yeah. So I see that. I see the tears in his eyes at that moment as like an awareness that this real woman that he has in his life, like this is about to go away. He's going to get something in return, but he's going to have to say goodbye to this thing that he has. And so it makes me want to like, feel for him mm-hmm. in, a, in a weird way like oh maybe he's kind of being coercive but then the way he behaves toward her is i think unseemly and rude and he's like very defensive with her um she's like you know what are you doing down here and he's like i'm just you know i'm not doing anything i just can't i just blah, blah, blah. he's very defensive but then he switches gears and he's like i love you you know that right i really love you and I, i'm just like guilty but I, that's like such bullshit. Because if he felt guilty, he wouldn't do it. So I just gaslighting. Yeah. It just makes yeah. me. It just makes me hate him more. Um, this this whole conspiracy that that he's in on, and another moment that really I think kind of gets not at the heart of the movie, but like makes a big point in the movie is when she's developing some pictures that she took, and he's watching the kids, and the neighbors' kids are staying, Bobby's kids are staying with them, and he's trying to enter. And he's pounding on the door and he's like, well, what am I supposed to do with them? How am I supposed to amuse them? She's like, I amuse them seven days a week, like 24-7. Figure yep. it out. Yeah, Preach. You know? song. 
Yeah. That's like I actually got a laugh out of that scene because he's like so out of it. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Welcome to yeah, her that's world, the bro. thing is like it it's reflective of the way that things like that are considered women's work, but they're not even considered work. Um mm. like it's it's almost an echo of what, earlier in the movie when Diz sees her doing the dishes or something. He's like, I like to watch women doing little domestic what is chores. That? What is yeah. that all about? It's like First of all, it's not even taken seriously as work, which anybody who's ever been a housewife or a stay-at-home mom can tell you is a shit ton of work and it never ends and it is 24-7. Um, and so in no way do I, throughout this whole episode, in no way do I mean to like disparage women who are like suburban women who stay at home and take care of the kids or run a household mm-hmm, because that mm-hmm. is a shit ton of work. What I'm disparaging here is the expectation that these women give up any semblance of their identity outside of that. So I just want to make sure that's clear, first of all. So uh, can 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 I just ask you something, Jacqueline? Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's sidetracking, but like how, how often do you and Joey have to do laundry each week? Having three children, how <laughs> often do you have to do laundry? And again, I'm just I'm reiterating your point right now. Um, A lot. <laughs> I mean, like a lot there's a lot of there's a lot of laundry in the house now it almost never gets folded but there's always laundry understood Just and like, like tons, for me, several several loads a week yeah and not having kids not having a spouse is that i do laundry once a week so I'm reiterating what you're saying. Must I mean, nice. it's just like, yeah, it's 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 that yeah. difference, you know. You know yeah. what I mean? Go go ahead. So, I mean I'm that sorry. along with a million other things. It's just like oh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And so, but so like the fact that Diz calls that little domestic chores—that's so diminishing and demeaning oh, yeah. and like belittling oh, of it. Yeah. And then the fact that he can't figure out how to entertain his own kids for like a few hours. Mm-hmm. Like these, like it's all easy work till he has to do it. Exactly. It's not yeah. work. It's not work mm-hmm. until he has to do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's a huge burden. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, he just continues to piss me off with his like oblivion and his dismissiveness of her as a human mm-hmm. being, um, right down to like taking care of his own kids. It's just. Do you think it would be better if the story sort of built him up a little bit as a better husband and then he was like enticed by this town? No, because you know I, mean? I think like it's. These men, by I peer don't. pressure to, you know replace his wife like oh, i want to be just like the other guys because there is a little bit of that with him like he wants to be included uh, that's in a good question but i i think it makes it scarier that he's really been like this underneath the whole time. like he moved yeah. her there with the yeah. entire and, you know it's it's becoming a real life thing now that he had to go to the meeting and and make the decision finally but he's obviously known about it when he moved them yeah. there yeah and you so- know what's really really tragic about this too is and this is this is you know, thinking even farther along about how like a system like this it doesn't just hurt women, it hurts what do you everyone. Do with your kids? Well, you think about when this man is old, when he's like 80 years old and he doesn't have a real person to spend his days with, mm-hmm. he's going to regret it. They are all going to regret it. You know, what are the kids going to say when they grow up with a robot mother? That's like, a great question. Also, yeah. What do you do with your daughter? Definitely when she's harm get your children. Did she get replaced now. You're going to let your daughter <laughs> get replaced by a yes. fucking robot. Well, the robot mother would. I, I don't know if the if uh, Walter is going to think it's such a great idea then. But I mean, that's the thing is like they're so dumb and short sighted and so invested in their own like like material desires, like their selfish yeah. mm-hmm. kind of like physical desires. And I mean, it's just so it's so shallow. Short sighted. Yeah. It's so shallow. Yeah. And that's to me, that's what makes it so scary is like they don't. 
it's the fear that they don't really want that depth and substance that a real human partner can offer mm -hmm. uh, a real human mother to your children, a real human person to grow old with and share memories with and, you know, reflect on life. And uh, I mean, it's they want just the so, trophy wife, basically. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's surprising that they don't have like they have that pool party, but I'm surprised there's not like a gala at one point where they kind of all bring their wives on their arms. Like, hey, look at this is my model. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, but Joanna they've all been Seafed, around maybe. for a while. I mean, yeah. they're, they've all been around for like they all know each other. Maybe there is like a, I just a debutante, a viewer, like a debutante ball. Something like that. Oh yeah. Like maybe a, there would be like a creepy debutante ball. You know, for and, yeah. And then Joanna's sort of like really like starting to see the cracks there. Like, what Ooh. the fuck is going on around here? Um. By the way, that backyard party. Um. I have been going down a John Wayne Gacy rabbit hole lately. Um. Because <laughs> I went to this true crime museum in Savannah, and they have like all of the man's paintings. It's Super creepy, but also kind of cool. And <laughs> he he always had these big, lavish, like, backyard parties at his house. And so that's all I could think about. When Damn. <laughs> I was watching that scene, I was like, oh, it's a John Wayne Gacy party. Get out of there. Get out of there. <laughs> Who? Well, one thing I did notice about this film, uh, my notes just did a weird thing where they just, like, scrolled without me touching them. <laughs> um, the, uh, there was a moment in the when they go shopping. Let me just find my spot here now. I should have paper notes. Uh, when they go shopping, I notice the ads in the grocery store. You hear the voice over the loudspeaker. It says like, ladies, we have specials today on uh, Crenshaw melons and English walnuts and avocados. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why. It was just like, I thought it was uh, the fact that the ad was like towards women in general. I know that women at this time probably were the primary uh, shoppers too in the family. Oh, yeah. Um, so I mean, obviously it makes households... sense sort of to have the ads. I just wasn't sure if that was a real thing back then either because I wasn't born. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. It was like ladies, all the like house the cleaning products and... on TV and all the like grocery stores. It was just like assumed that it's like these are targeted towards women. 100 mm -hmm. percent. Period. I don't I, I mean... think it would have been like ridiculous to market them at all to men even yeah because they're not going to be there during the middle of the day i mean you know it's I mean? still yeah. that way like yeah. i work in advertising and it's still that way now that's because that's what the data tells you those are who who is making the household decisions but it's still that that is the case like and and we see more um we see more diversity in like commercials now like i've noticed uh i've seen many commercials where it's like a dad and a kid mm -hmm. specifically which is yep. great but the norm, the larger market, the larger target is still always women. I don't know. I mean, exactly women what be the shopping, is, am I right? No. Women be shopping. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that is still the case in advertising. It's just not nearly as overt. I thought it was interesting. And then later on towards at the very end, there's moments where the women seem almost like there's like brand recognition in, imbued in them or something. Where yes. they, when they spout about something like, I love using this cleaning product. Yes. Clean, as if they're in an ad. Yeah, it's almost like exactly there's more right. experiments than just mis the misogyny going on here. Like we're we're experimenting also with just like I don't know a advertising or marketing or suggestive mm -hmm. you know suggestions. I don't know. That reminded me of Have you guys seen the Truman Show? Yeah, actually, I haven't. Carrie? No. Oh, oh wow, that movie is delightful, Jacqueline. But yeah. there is a moment where um, because like basically the whole thing is and this isn't like spoiler. This is just the concept is. He is being filmed and it's it's just like reality TV, but he doesn't know it. Everybody else knows it. So his wife is an actress. And so there's like there are certain times when they're like in the kitchen and she's making him coffee and she like turns to the camera and holds it up and like spouts yeah, a one liner. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and he never notices, but it's like <sighs> ad placement. So I'm, I am sure that the Truman Show picked that up from yeah. Stepford Wives. When I also read that moment as like, this is reflective of these women's absolute top priorities at this moment. Like, th- like the things that they care deeply about, th- you know, now that they've changed, they've been changed. It's like, there's a sale. That cleaning product is the most important thing to them. And mm-hmm. that recipe is the most important thing to I them. Die for and it. oh, Claude, you're the <laughs> champion. That's the most important thing. This is how men think I'll their just... women should be talking, too. You know, yes. we, we, I'll just they, die if I don't get this recipe. They have the women speak. Die. You know, that guy, Claude, oh, I'm so obsessed with the vernacular. And it's pretty interesting, too, that he stutters things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's his mm-hmm. thing, is mm-hmm. his speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's but such they a limit stark what these women contrast between what the real women are saying and what the Stepford women are saying. Like they don't it's have the word archaic. Archaic. Oh, yeah. it wasn't on the list. Yeah. yeah. You don't need to know it. Why would you need to know that? So word? I didn't think the words were at first I thought she was just saying these words so that they can get a range of her voice and then create her voice again. No, not they're literally her giving vocabulary. her her vocabulary. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that, to be honest. <clears> but so that's interesting too, because that's even more limiting. If you're going to create a robot that has the capability of being intelligent and then you're limiting it just by throttling like, well, this is the only thing that you're allowed to say and yeah. talk. you can't talk back. <laughs> I, would love to see it. I would love to see a sequel where there's like an uprising. I want to see like the Westworld version of Stepford Wives. Stepford Wives 2. Maybe they one away. of them gets <laughs> sentient and, they, and she has to start like trying to convince the other ones into. So it's like one of them becomes almost like a, a normal woman again. In a sense, like she realizes what's going on as a robot and feels conflicted. I don't know. Like, so it would be like the bub of yeah. the Stepford Wives. Yeah, right? exactly. The bub. <laughs> she starts relearning how to be a human. Yeah. <laughs> Except that it doesn't work because it's, it, she wouldn't, like, they're not really a different version of themselves. It's just like, a, no. like the original is dead. Right. It's, not yeah, like, that's right. it's not like she's been infected with something and can go back. Like, there's some vestige of that in her brain. It's like just a robot, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I don't yeah, know. It's, it's not like they place your consciousness. AI nowadays. Like, yeah. I was going to say the only way it would work is if these robots have evolved over the I decades. I want Christopher Nolan yeah. to remake this film. And we get film. to. Yeah. There, we go. <laughs> there you go. There it is. Yeah, it would have to be like a Terminator Skynet situation where mm-hmm. they become self-aware, mm. you know. Yeah. In which case, they're still not real women, so you know. Yeah. Speaking, stick, sticking with the grocery store too. I just love this old look of like these bag boys running out to your car with your groceries and packing it out for you. And I was just like, I, man, this is like some some old slice of America. Yeah. Americana. Right it's there. a beautiful Publix, scene. Publix carries your gro- they carry your groceries out and pack it up for you. Really? I don't get that. I don't we don't have that over here. We're really? They don't they don't Publix. take your they don't take your groceries no. out for you? No, this is New York. Oh. You take your own groceries here. Fucking you take car. your own fucking We don't even give you bags here anymore. You gotta oh, buy it's a those. Cultural stuff. thing. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. I mean, I think oh, everywhere wow. you have to yeah. buy your own grocery bags now. What? I get the cheapest paper bag no, too. Not in, not in the South. I carry not my own bags. I bring I have several bags in the back of my car. <laughs> no, at yeah. public like the the big the probably the biggest chain down here is Publix, and they um take your groceries out for you in the cart, and you try to not forget where you parked, and they <laughs> follow you with the cart, and then they load it in the car for you, yeah. and they say yeah. no tipping, like you can't tip them. What? Publix is fantastic. I, I can't wait that. till it makes its way here. I love Publix. Uh, yeah, I kind of like I I actually do. I feel like a Stepford wife sometimes sometimes because I do love to go grocery shopping a lot, yes. and I want to be like an Instacart shopper. Mm. I feel like I missed my calling because I love so, I just love being in the grocery store. I want a Bucky's out here. A bu- 
Buggies. I got food poisoning yeah. from something I ate at Bucky's, so mm-hmm. I and I, like that's mm-hmm. done for me. Hard pass. Yeah. So speaking don't, of don't eat frozen store. poultry from uh, Bucky's, kids. Try not to. <laughs> do Do you think single men here are aware of what's going on? Like the manager nope. at the store is. Nope. I do not. So the way so. he's sort of like, we need an ambulance here now. I think because he knows that like we can't be having anybody. We have a glitch. Well, he right might now. be married. Harold's good. Gl- yeah, maybe he's married. But I think Carol the bad boys like are like, right? I'm so sorry, Miss Van Sant. It was my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Like, <laughs> yeah, calm yeah. down, kid. It's all right. Yeah, uh, I think that like I think all married men are are, are probably aware and yeah. But yeah, the way he's like, we need an ambulance now, and it's like because we need to get her out of here. She's glitching. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but we need to. We we can't have anybody see this, you know, because there's new people. That was a fun little scene. If you don't know that we are going to robots, this is a fresh concept for you. Whenever she's like, isn't the hospital the other direction? And at first he's like, no, you're wrong. And then he's like, oh, no, you're right. Yeah, he even acknowledged the other direction. Yeah. Like, that's a fun little moment. Yeah, I did like that, too. You're sort of like, where the fuck are they going then? Mm -hmm. This movie is just one colossal gaslight. Like, it's just it's just one colossal gaslight. They're going to Shamrock fucking... uh, Industries to get her That's fixed up, right? Yeah, because oh, they yes. have their own hospital. Yeah. They have their own hospital. Yes, it reminded me a totally. little bit of Halloween three. Yep, yeah. I was Good like, call back. Also, like even at the party, you know, at the at the pool party when Carol is kind of like malfunctioning and she's I'll just die around, if like, I don't get this, get recipe. this recipe. I'll just First die all, if I don't get this recipe. <laughs> he chastises her in front of everybody. He's like. Why the hell do you do this in public? Until someone like, can hear him. And then he's like, oh, come mm-hmm. this way, dear. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's just like, it's so like, she's a fucking robot. How are you going to yeah, chastise a robot? Like, I don't know. Then, I do it too. When something's not working at home, I'm like, fucking toast, toast, toaster oven. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you always do this? Why do you Lucky always we're burn not my in toast? public right now? <laughs> you always burn my bagels. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wait till I have sex with you later. <laughs> Jacqueline, that's racist because he's from New York. He eats bagels. Yeah, I would never. Yep. Re- yeah, I get fresh bagels. I'm, I'm sorry. Well, and then and then later he makes her go and apologize, which if she were a real first of all, if she were a real woman, like that would be so humiliating and degrading to be like, well, we just thought I ought to come around since you're new in we, town. Yeah. Make sure you don't get. And she's like, we who's we like, did those assholes make you come and apologize? You don't need to apologize to us. All and I men. love how Bobby's like. If I had to go around apologizing every time I got hammered, like I'd be apologizing mm-hmm. for Love like it. yeah every minute in the day. Um, um it's apparently degrading. It's, it's story time with Nicole because I had a boss. Like there was this big mistake that was made at my very first job that I was a part of, but it was not solely my mistake. However, I was the last person to touch the project, and it was this big costly mistake. Ugh. He made me go around to like all the managers and apologize. And because I was like 24, I didn't know any better and I did it. And it was, it was, it was incredibly embarrassing and degrading. And even though I knew it wasn't just my fault, I couldn't speak up and say, Hey, idiot, this mistake happened because you broke ABCD protocol before it got to me. 40 year old Nicole would have a very different response for that man. But that scene like triggered me. I was like, Oh, Oh, Well, and that's what happens when there's an imbalance in the power dynamic, right? Like when you're mm-hmm. 25 and you have like a manager or an executive and there's, you know, a gender difference at play, maybe that like that is that is powerful. You know, yeah. you can pretend that it's not, um, but mm-hmm. age, gender, race, all of those things yeah, that play all comes a play. part in, in a power dynamic between two people or amongst a team. And that like that can be taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's 
sick. Yeah. And I, I feel like great. a lot of times when people are like, uh, you're taking advantage of you instantly, people think sexually, but there are so many other ways that mm-hmm. someone can abuse their power. Yeah. yeah. And just like because that, somebody's like legally, somebody legally an adult, yeah. like just because you're 18 doesn't mean that that can't happen anymore. It's like, oh, she's yeah. a grown up. It like, doesn't mean that you don't know what's right to. or wrong, but you're in a position where you're like, well, I don't want to lose my yeah. job. Or like, you know? you're not experienced enough to know, yeah, like, to know. wait a minute, I need to speak up for myself. Mm-hmm. Like, is a 25 year old capable of speaking up for themselves? Yes, but they may not have the life experience to teach them that you yeah. can and should in that moment, you may feel like your job is at risk if you dare mm-hmm. to, to speak out or whatever. And so, you know, it's, 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 it's an unfair imbalance. I feel like Joanne feels that same way here in the movie. Uh, like, sure, she's not going to lose her job, but she just doesn't want to, she doesn't want to ruffle feathers for her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because she does care about her husband and his career or whatever. Like she, she acknowledges that, but she's also like something's wrong, and I need to speak out about yeah. it. And thankfully, she finds Bobby because she had nobody to really like a sounding board to even talk about with these weird, you know, suspicions. Because who do you say? Who, what do you say to somebody? I think something's weird. Like first of all, you don't know that they're robots, so you wouldn't go to that anyway. But you just right. know something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. why I think the friendship with Bobby is so important. It feels like such a relief, but also then when Bobby is lost to Joanna, yeah. uh, that makes it all the more disheartening and discouraging. And then she's truly alone. Yeah, and she is truly alone. And she knows her four month period is coming too, and that's scary because now it's her turn. That's the thing is there's a timeline, and I think that's yeah. a smart device because you know that there's a specific time that's approaching, and I actually think two scenes that are have always been indelible to me since I saw this in high school were when she first sees Bobby after Bobby's weekend away and she's wearing a dress and her hair's like all done up and she's just acting all chipper and just totally different from her like smart ass self and she's just like they got to you too and she's like what are you talking about and you want so desperately for her to be like I'm just kidding like what mm. the fuck do you think I'm gonna do that you know like and it and it just doesn't happen and it's just this like sinking feeling in your stomach that you're like oh shit it happened too but even more than that like to me the most frightening scene of all is when she's running around in the rain trying to find her kids and she goes to Bobby's house and she's like can I get you some coffee? You need a fresh perked cup of coffee. And she's like she's desperate. Glitching. She is like mm-hmm. almost hysterical trying to find her children. And please, Bobby, like you, you've got to understand me. Don't you remember? And then she stabs her in the stomach and she's like, Joanna. And she like, how could you? She like <laughs> smooths out her apron as if that mattered. Like, oh, I mm. have to smooth out this little wrinkle you caused. And then she starts malfunctioning and it's like this real. She just drop in the coffee cup and then go. Yeah, it's know. like a really disturbing <laughs> look. Mm-hmm. And like, this is so inhuman. Mm-hmm. You know? And like, this is this is her fate. Like, this is the fate that Joanna is facing if she doesn't get out of this. Uh, I mean, it's it's horrifying to me. And then like, that's too when you realize it's their... not just a psychological thing. These aren't these women with like some kind of, you know spell yeah. put over yeah them or yeah whatever subliminal body. messaging or whatever something in the hypnosis. Water. these are yeah. robots they're not even real yeah, like you can yeah. stab them and nothing will yeah. happen it's just well, androids like, they, if you nothing, will, they will not bleed um and so it's like it's it's the it's the loss of her ally like the one ally that she has and it's also a glimpse into like what awaits her very soon and to me that's just absolutely horrifying yeah i really um, liked bobby's character too Speaking of the, the the stabbing, this is not an original thought. I heard this somewhere years ago 
that um, they talked about how when she stabs Bobby, she stabs her not just in the, in the stomach, womb, right? but like where her ovary would mm. be, like in that oh, area. It is right around there. I think that's from Bravo's 100 Scariest <gasps> Moments. I think yep. you're right. Oh, what a pull. Yep. <laughs> oh, I, I watched that special over and over, and I even recorded it one year, and I still watch it sometimes on YouTube. Yes, yeah. I do It's all on YouTube, sometimes. by the way. I love it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's like, it doesn't do anything. I think Bobby has some of the best dialogue, too. There's a moment she says, uh, this town's declared maids illegal, and the housewives with the cleanest house get Robert Redford as a prize. I just thought <laughs> that's yeah. pretty funny. I mean, in, in 75, too, Redford was still uh, a dashing yeah. young man yeah. or a younger uh, man. I mean, and now he's a dashing old man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Good looking uh, dude. Also, the one thing, they never really show Bobby's, who was Bobby's husband? know if we ever met him we yeah, never really we did right? i kind of wish we did just a little bit just to see the other side to her uh i find it infuriating just a random thought i find it infuriating that the robots kill their own selves yeah because it's like the men even can't even do like they're doing their dirty work for them like they can't even do that what's his name watches as he's petting her dog <laughs> And strangles her with a stocking. Like, what yeah. a metaphor. Am I right? Yeah. Strangles her with a stocking. Yep. She's being, like, snuffed out by, like, the, the ultimate feminine, you know, mm. by a, a highly, like, gendered object. Some people would pay good money to be strangled by a stocking. I'm I know, saying. right? <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. isn't the fun type. Yeah. No, not like that. Uh, but I yeah, it's like they like can't the even do their of... own dirty work. Like, yeah. you know, not only do you have to cook and clean and fuck and everything, like I want you to, but you can't yeah, even. You're killing. You, like, I can't even kill the original myself. Like, it's that's like, your birthright. Just... You have to do that in order to come into mm. the world. Mm. But yeah, it's it's. I think it's darker though that they do make the robot do, and that the robot oh, yes. hasn't been totally thick, like all the way changed to her yet. It's still got totally the sick. dark eyes. Like, oh like, yeah. Like yeah, it's like totally a what a moment. I really oh, yeah. like that scene. I mean, I almost wish I saw a grabber, but it's cool. Like mm -hmm. it just kind of comes out of focus, like closer and closer mm -hmm. to the screen. And that kind of mm -hmm. pays off with our ending, too, because our ending yeah. similar. Yeah. When we got to the end, I was like, oh, I was like, oh, I was like, is she going to get away? Is she going to fight back? And I was like, no, this movie came out in 1975. Mm -hmm. We're getting we're good. We're going there. We're going there, which is one thing that I lament about newer horror i feel like we get too happy of an ending quite often yeah. and so this was kind of like i was like yeah i was like give us the appropriate ending it's soul crushing but if you watch movie. through the credits too you get to see her like the husband walter shows up picks her up there's like stills of her in the car driving away oh really yeah, she's got like no real expression on her face. The kids are in the back seat, and Walter's I don't, like, driving. I don't it's not like I've motion. Watched... It's like stills of it. Yeah, I don't it's think like I've her. Ever watched it through. Yeah, through after that the long. credits roll, there's a moment where you see wow. Walter in the car, and then she's in the car, and then they're driving home. It's like, oh, thanks for telling me all the all these years, and I had no idea. So it's basically like it's all, you know, it's all Walter got what he wanted. He got the perfect wife, and you know things are gonna keep going on in Stepford. Fucking Walter, and he's gonna die a sad, lonely old man. That's something to think about. And I will laugh right and dance on his. He does mention there's a moment where he's like, "I'm getting old. I feel old." And she's like, "No, you're fine. You're." But that was the human counterpart. That wasn't his, his children aren't gonna be well adjusted. He's gonna be nah. lonely. Yep, it's not good. So I wanted to mention, if I could, a couple of differences with the book. Yeah. Um, so in the book, it's actually robot Bobby who it's like suggested that she stabs Joanna, the, the real Joanna. Mm. And it's like that. So 
the real Joanna is killed by robot Bobby, not mm. robot Joanna. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and this is sort of a culminating moment after. So the point where I texted you guys two summers ago when I was like, oh, my God, Joanna's running around in the rain, like trying to find her kids. But all of the men are out looking for her and she's like hiding in the woods and shit. And they're all like converging around her. And she's literally like a trapped animal. And all these men are like surrounding her and like Diz is talking to her. I forget who I, but Diz or somebody is talking to her and it's like, oh, that's going to be okay, Joanna. It's not what you think. But like she's outside and it's all the men. And that to like my heart was pounding during that scene. I was like sitting in a diner eating like a turkey club sandwich or something and reading this. And I had to like put everything down and text you like, oh, my God, this book is so fucked up. But I was like <laughs> really scared. I was frightened for her um because it's different from what happens in the movie and so what they do is like if i remember right i think they offer to like have bobby cut herself to prove to joanna that she's normal and like oh yeah she please you know that's she's fine like you're worried about nothing but then i think if i remember correctly it's like implied that bobby actually stabs joanna and so that's how that goes down um but it's like it's just it's like pulse pounding and the, the- i wonder if that would have played better <clears throat> i mean it's definitely gut-wrenching too to know that her best friend was turned and then kills her instead of like the synthetic her i mean i think in a symbolic way it actually works better that like herself, if, if this yeah. is ref- it's the, if this is reflective of a fear you have of turning mm-hmm. into this kind of woman then it's mm-hmm. like what you're really afraid of is like your current self eventually dying even inadvertently out. killing off your old self, mm. you know, your new, your new self killing off your old yeah. self. Or I mean, which is mm-hmm. change Maybe in general is sort but... of symbolic of how we change as, uh, you know, human adults in general. But yeah. this is just uh, to a horrible degree. You know, it's not for a positive change or something like that. It's like, right. Sick. But I think with the to me, one of the things that works best in this movie, and, you know, I've said this many a time before about Rosemary's Baby, is... I'm terribly disturbed by the idea of like a there's a big conspiracy and the people that you trust most are in on it and everybody knows it but you and everywhere you turn that you think you're safe you're not and you are utterly alone and something vital is being taken from you and I think that mm-hmm. that is what Ira Levin gets so right in both of these novels and I think both are represented so well in the film adaptations mm-hmm. um and that's that's like what makes it so frightening definitely so. well said thank you <laughs> um we you mentioned it in your fucks or sucks but i just want to touch for anybody that maybe didn't see the movie there's a scene where they go they're going door to door they're checking with all these other women in town bobby and joanna they're trying to see if we can get people together to talk about what's going on or just you know just about like-minded things you know just girl chat something um and they go into that one house and they're like they don't knock uh what's her name doesn't knock she's like don't you there's this thing they invented called knocking she's like well it doesn't that doesn't interest me i'm a natural born barger and bobby just barges in and there's uh, apparently uh the pharmacist and his wife the cornells are having like some afternoon delight mm-hmm. and you hear them and yeah it sounds so oh you're such a champion oh you're like a king oh oh Barf. right there Frank. I was like, oh. this is bold for 1975. Yeah. <laughs> like, dude, do you get to pick that? Oh, this is what I want my wife to say. Yeah, you get to pick the dirty yeah. talk. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you get to program exactly what you like. Yeah. You know, it's fucked up. How unimaginative. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Truly. Oh, 
John, you're such a champion. <laughs> oh, and I, I later. <laughs> That's what Joanna, she said. When, mm. when Joanna is talking about that yeah, encounter, you made her say that she's I like, know. "This guy is such a dud. He's such a nothing. His wife yeah. is stunning. I don't I understand." <laughs> That's she like every says, that's oh, every would, like female friendship her... that I know. Like <laughs> she even yeah. says I would love to have her chest. <laughs> <laughs> she does, yeah. 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 Bodacious. Is, you, know, you you will get it when once you're turned into a robot. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I feel like I could I could relate to this movie in a way. Like my dad was a very old fashioned man. He was an older dad. He was born in like the 30s and he's um he was Mexican. And so he had a lot of these kind of old school, kind of macho, mm -hmm. chauvinistic ideas. I will admit that. Um, but at the same time, he was not like this. Um, you know, my mom is a pretty feisty lady. And I think that my dad actually, you know, he had he had some chauvinistic ideas and behaviors for sure. Um, like he could not have cooked a meal to save his life. He expected my mom to like serve him every meal and bring him the paper and bring him more coffee, you know, to go with his dessert. And like, you know, he had those expectations. But by the same token, you know, I think I think he really appreciated her feistiness. And he did not expect the house to be like neat as a pin all the time. What he really cared about was like, her parenting me and like as long as we were doing something together or having fun like he didn't care if the house was a mess it made him happy to see her like playing a game with me or doing some artwork with me or just doing anything like he cared about the family relationships you know but he didn't have like ridiculous expectations of like why isn't this house neat as a pin why isn't you know this like that and so it you know some of those things were part of his you know approach towards marriage but you know even a 1933 born Mexican man didn't have these like like he he didn't fit the mold of this character. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, like of Walter and these men. And mm -hmm. um, it's a very white male sort of thing. Uh, this movie, th these well, characters like to build off of what you just said, Jacqueline, like I think you you made this distinction earlier but like you can still have like traditional values and like traditional roles and not be this way, right? Like mm -hmm. right. lots of people choose to like, like you said, when I be a stay-at-home mom, the guy's gonna go to work and make the money, whatever. If people right. if people do that, like that's if that works, that's great, right? I have no criticism um, of that. Exactly. Yeah. So this is this is not like a criticism of like traditional roles necessarily. Um, and like my dad is sort of the same way, like um, he, he's like, he is very like kind of conservative and traditional, but I never saw any of this in, in my parents' relationship either, you mm. know? Yeah. Um, and part of that is just both my parents always worked and all of that because mm. they needed, because they needed to. So if my mom had stayed home, I don't know if things would have looked different, but I was an only child and I'm a girl. But also my dad's like, he's like a manly man, like a man's man, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but he, in approaching me as a girl, like he never treated me like differently, I guess. Like, and I, this is something that I realized as I got older that like, oh, like there are just certain things that I thought about or I realized he didn't treat me different because I was a girl. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. um, and I really valued that a lot be because he's a little more traditional and because he's such like a, a traditional manly man i was like wow like he he really had to go out out of his comfort zone that was progressive of him too. so yeah to raise me and i and so there there's a 
uh, I told him one time, I was like, dad, I was like, you might not realize this and you might not attribute this, but I was like, I think you might be a feminist and you mm. know it, you know? <laughs> 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 I was like, because of this, this, and this. And I just, I was like, I was like, I want to just thank you for raising me that way, you know? So I think that's speech, really interesting. Yeah. You having a daughter and not be this <laughs> can help awaken something in a man too, where he can realize that even actions that he's taken as a, as a younger man or whatever, it helps change you, I think, to know that, like, well, my, now my daughter's in this world. I don't want her being treated this way. It kind of wakes That's a really up. good point. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really thought about that, but I guess my dad was like that, too. Like, in a weird way. So, as I was growing up, I was also an only child. And my dad kind of, if my mom was unavailable for some reason, like, if she was sick or whatever, then those responsibilities did fall to me. Like, I had to get his dinner ready and serve him his coffee and do all that stuff, you know, even as a little girl. But... At the same time, he always encouraged me to like pursue high earning careers and stuff because he did not want me to be like dependent on a man in the future. Yeah. Same. Yeah. yeah. Same. My and dad so was always like, he's like, he's like, go to college. He's like, get a scholarship, go to college, get an education. He's like, don't worry about meeting a man. Like he was very, mm -hmm. he, he really encouraged me to like pursue my interests and, and to pursue my education. You know, so same. <laughs> so in a way, I, I wonder if there was like a cognitive dissonance in him. Like, it's okay for my wife, but it's not okay for my daughter. You know, like the relation, the dynamic between us is fine for me, but like, I don't want that for my daughter. But then how do you square that with yourself that like, this is what your wife is doing for you, but yeah. you don't want that for your daughter. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how that gets squared in, well, in a, a man's mind tough. like that. I could see because he has more say in how you can be raised as a child than he had in your mom's raising, right? So she's already. Yeah, but he's taking advantage I know, of that yes. dynamic. Yeah. And she's already been raised by this societal norm of, you know, being, yeah. you know, there for her husband or whatever. And so obviously, yeah, you, like you said, it, I don't know. It's an interesting yeah. conversation for sure. Good point, Nicole and Hyderabad. All right. Well, guys, is there any other major point that we should make before we get into our reviews? All right. Well, I guess, uh, shall I start off? Yes, Jacqueline. please. Not us all. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how do you feel about this movie? Eh, it's all right. <laughs> no, I'm just all kidding. Right. Um, no, I mean, I, I just, I can't say enough good things about this movie. I think it's so effective. I think it's so relevant. I love the casting of it. <clears throat> uh, Nicole, I also find it very charming. And like, I love the 70s feel of it. It feels so mm -hmm. 70s in the mm -hmm. best possible way. Like everything about it, the hair and their fashion before their robots and the way the homes look and the cars it's just i love it the music it's it's great um it's like a really fun feel to the movie to have that 70s vibe um <clears throat> i think it's absolutely chilling you know it's not a gory movie it's not even like a particularly there's no like jump scares there's no ah, you know but i think it's just it's really disturbing for anyone who has even a, a semblance of like critical thinking skills and has the ability to see why this would be a frightening reality for someone like to see the metaphorical reality that's being portrayed here. Um, like, why would this be frightening to women? It's not just about robot wives. It's not a surface story. It's about the loss of identity. That's what it's about. And um, <clears throat> I think anybody who's capable of seeing that, I think, would would see the value and the um, success of this movie. I think it's successful at what it's trying to do. I think it's actually like stellar um social criticism. I think it's it's like one of the first like very overt social satires in in horror films. I know there are others like I think you know to an extent Rosemary's Baby and a lot of other films are kind of 
um, more subtly doing it. Not Rosemary's Baby, but some some earlier films are more subtle about this. But I think Rosemary's Baby and this movie are like pretty harsh criticisms of like patriarchy, <clears throat> and um, and are very successful and effective at at doing that. Um, Nicole, I think you made a really great point earlier about how this still applies not just not just to gender relationships, although I think it it does or gender dynamics. I think it obviously still does apply to that, um, but to other kinds of social change as well. I think that was a really astute point. Um, and you know, I, I mean, without getting into like a whole thing about it, I just think like we, you know, we still have these kind of roles to to decide whether we want to fulfill them or not i think the, there are still a lot of choices women still have to make about this um you know as you said nicole that the target for household advertising is still predominantly a, a, a female audience and it's like women still are i think faced with this question of like do i devote myself to a family and home or do i devote myself to a career it doesn't feel like there's a a comfortable way to have both sometimes and I think this depends very much on men. And this film is such a critique of men. And I think that, you know, I'm, <clears throat> this is sort of a, a not a new thought at all. But it's like, I think, you know, gender equality cannot be fully reached until all men are feminists, too. Like, men have to get in, on board for it to work. Because you can't have one gender taking on home and family life and the, and the workforce, if men don't step up and share equally in the responsibility of the home and family life as well. And I think we're not there yet. I think there's progress, but it's not, it's not, it's not equal. It's not equally divided yet. So, you know, this is like a reminder of that. Like women mm -hmm. still have to make these decisions and women get asked questions about their choices and their futures that men do not get asked for the most part. Um, so it's just, there's, there's progress, but you know, a lot of times things stay the same too. So it's just, uh, it's kind of a bleak, cynical movie but i think it does its job really well i think it's very smart i think it's artfully done um i love it it's like a foundational film for me i don't even know what else to say about it it's a 10 uh 10 out of 10 shit i didn't prepare for this <laughs> 10 out of 10 uh malfunctioning robots that's what i got so nicole would you like to go next um sure so, uh, again, first time watch for this movie, and I was, like, pleasantly surprised. Not that I expected to dislike it. I just enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Um, like I said, even though I, I knew what the quote-unquote twist was going to be, I still – I enjoyed the journey. I enjoyed it all. I thought the um, – the look and feel of it was great. Just like you said, that 70s feel was great. Like, I love how it's, like, a little grainy, a little rough around the edges. The people feel real, you know? Even the beautiful women feel real. And I, I really um, love that about a 70s movie. You know, they feel like real people. Um, I, uh, I think I find it really charming. So even though it's a very heavy movie with really serious subject matter, I do love the moments we get um with bobby and joanna and all of that like it's really fun to be with them um and i think that really helps us be more invested when things start to go south because we feel like we are their friends and we are sort of going through this with them um i i think that the plot was executed really well like again even though i knew where we were going like all the little pieces they give us along the way 
um, were kind of perfect. And so I can only imagine watching this in 75. Like that must have been such a satisfying reveal. And you're like, oh, that's why this happened. And that's what this meant, you know. Um, so I think this movie, you know, at its time, it was probably like pretty aggressive, like a pretty aggressive message to just put it right out there. Um, but I think because of that, because they crafted it so well and they did such a good job with it, that is why it is still relevant now. And like I said, I think it's going to continue to be relevant um, in one way or another. I think this topic is always going to have its uh, its minutia and its nuances as we move forward through time. Um, it makes me really thankful for uh, the relationships that I have in my life. Um, the good relationships that I have with men in my life. It makes me really happy that I'm not in a Stepford situation. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are still lots of women who have to interact with relationships like this and men like this, who, if they had the opportunity, would rather have a certain kind of wife than the one they have. And so um, I think it, like you said, it does sort of, it's a reminder of not just, oh, look how bad it used to be, but like there there are women who still have to deal with these things every day and make choices about what what they're going to do with their life. Um, so, oh, gracious. So I don't really have any like changes or criticisms, but I also don't know if I can give this movie like a 10 because like I'm one of those people that I sort of have to have like that extra little level of magic that you can't quantify um, so I am going to give it nine. Oh gosh, what is my unit of measure going to be? Let's say uh, nine to die for recipes. <laughs> I just have yes. to have that recipe, Nicole. Yeah, just mm -hmm. or I'll just die. die if I don't have it. I'll just die. All right. And Nicole, I totally get that. Like I, I'm the exact same way. I reserve my tens for certain like magical films. Um, and so I get, especially being your first watch, like I get that 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 might not be there for you, but um, yeah, nine. That's a respectable score. I I appreciate it. Yep. Uh, Hydraberg, let's hear from you next. Um. Yeah. <clears throat> uh. I just also just to touch real quick on the advertising thing again. I was wondering if the advertising is sort of a way of like society, because there are changes during this time in 75, you were saying like women's rights and stuff like that. And the role women were playing. It's, it sort of seems in this movie as if advertising is being used to sort of keep women in those roles, you know, that they're supposed, they're meant to, that they're trying to break out of, you know, it's like, like you said, they're still marketing towards the women and sort of like, I don't know. Um, it was just interesting because it felt like there's even more at play in this little town that they're doing here. It's like, social experiments not just the misogyny one thing like that's the main thing but there seems like there's other things at play too maybe with this little town uh yeah as far as my review um this is this is a really interesting story it's very interesting um very relevant still now the themes at play just speak still to this day and i i just must imagine like you said like in 75 for female audiences especially it must have really hit a certain way and obviously you said it's a little aggressive, so maybe people took it. They didn't know how to take it to on face value of, like you said, the nuances of, of what's at play here and what it's speaking on. Um, I enjoyed the slow tension that builds throughout the film. I thought the score helped out a good bit with that, um, as does the acting. I thought Catherine, uh, Catherine uh, Rose, uh, Ross, I'm sorry, um, as Joanna. I thought she was great um, as our lead. Um, 
I really enjoyed the supporting cast as well, too, especially uh, Bobby. Is it Paula Prentice? You're muted, but sorry. Um, did I say it right, Jen? Prentice, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, she was great as Bobby. Just really good. Um, their dynamic really made the film, like, it could have been a lot slower, I think, if you didn't have those two driving through the film, kind of investigating. I love those little moments, too, of them figuring out what's going on. I wish we got more of that, actually. Like, show them. Show, I want to see those two breaking into the old manor and, the, you know, and seeing a robot arm or something. I don't know, something weird. Like, I saw these circuits in the garage before the old man showed up again and they had to run and we've out come right back to Halloween like, 3. Scooby-Doo. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> I got also, like, um, Phantasm vibes from that place. It's like the house in the distance that you can't go to. And what's he doing in Phantasm but mm. making duplicates of people and shit like that? Like, so, um, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I thought the lead was really good in this. I really liked the Joanna character, and I thought the actress played her really well. You know, oh. you know her from uh, The Graduate, right? I've never, I don't know, if I've seen The Graduate. Oh, yeah, I, I know of it. I know what, it, you know, but Cinemigos. I don't know if, yeah, yeah exactly. Know, Rob, Rob's probably seen that one. Do you know yeah, the famous know. moment of Dustin Hoffman going, Elaine? She's Elaine. That's the one with Mrs. Robinson, right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. yeah, that's where that phrase comes. The whole from. wedding scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm with you, Jacqueline. Thanks. Um, yeah, so she was especially good. All all the actors are good in this, even the men. Even the men. Yeah. You'd think I'd say especially the men, right? But I, <laughs> uh, I like the atmosphere I uh, and how it plays on what is supposedly the American dream, sort of, of like a family living in a good neighborhood. And it turns, you know, it turns out on its ear. Um, I like that. Like, what if the terror were coming from within the community? You know what I mean? You're not in the safe home that you think you're in. Uh, I like that. We see that Get Out seems to obviously have pulled from this film mm-hmm. a good bit as far as their themes and what's going on there. They just took it and ran with it in a different a different subject. You know what I mean? Same same issues though, really identity and stuff like that. People being stolen or forced into being a certain way. Mm-hmm. So I I think the themes are great in this movie. I I think it's a great film to give a voice to women to and like show I don't know like show a terror for them that many men would have a hard time understanding. Because the film rings true for like, you know, this societal expectations that women are held to in America, the world in general, but America, especially, I feel like, too. Um, But actually, a lot of other countries are really, you know, not as progressive, too, on women's rights. So it's unfortunate to see. And it's nice to see a film that kind of tackles it in a good way. Um, And it doesn't use it as like a crutch. It's not like it's only thing. Like we said, the movie's really more about the misogyny. It feels like it's, oh, it's a feminist film, but, you know, there's feminist um themes sure but uh i don't think it beats you over the head either i think it's really good um i don't know especially around the time that this was produced i could just see this being like a big thing you know maybe it wasn't as famous of a actually was it successful no okay um it's just an interesting film uh like this identity losing your identities the social norms and giving to your family like it's all i think there's like it hits a vein i think this film um that i think still you know there's some juice still there to tell a story, even if you remade this film, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm um, sure he's listening. Yeah, and I really liked the ending. I like, I really liked it. I thought it hit well. Um, I think the film could have hid Walter's intent a little bit better, um, showing him and Joanna's relationship slowly go down a hill. I thought would. I don't know. That would have worked better for me. I'm not saying make him like more sympathetic or anything. Like Walter can still be a dick and like. But I just want to see, like, I, I just, yeah, I just want to kind of see that struggle too on his side a little bit, or show me 
or hide it better for me as an audience. So make me think that he's kind of like a good husband for a while. I think they kind of show you right away. There's that knowing look between him and Ted. I just feel I picked up on that right away. He's too Jack Torrance. Yeah, from the get go. A little bit, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, remember, we have seen a lot of movies with twists. No, right? I mean, we had, true. But in the 70s, people hadn't seen that very That's much. True. It kind of so showed I've, their relationship so yeah, right away. I feel That's like strange. people back then probably didn't get it. They you probably, might be right. Yeah. So they just think Walter the whole time is good yeah. until the very We're end. We're conditioned yeah. to look for little things mm-hmm. at this point. That's this true. Is true. Thanks a lot. Shyamalan. Yeah, Shyamalan. <laughs> uh, I think Diz's character, too, uh, they should have... I wish they gave us a little bit more of... Uh, I don't know, show his methods a little bit. But they, I mean, they do show, like, the drawings, the sketches, the things with the voice. So we are seeing the methods of how they put the robots together, but we never really get any robot stuff. Like, we never really see the... And I don't know if that's a budget thing, or it's more of, like, keep it a mystery and just imagine more. So that's okay. I just, personally, I personally would have liked to see a little bit of that um from the sketches like i don't know about the the end product like how it comes to fruition or the i don't know maybe they had a couple robots in the past that there were some stories of they they went bad or i don't know um and i just wish they showed more of the synthetic side of the stepford wives a little bit at least in the end um they don't really sell that um show me a little i don't know show me a little bit of budget for the effects i just want to see like a little i don't know some robot part some guts when you when she stabs what's her name there's nothing that even shows mechanics there's nothing to allude that she's a robot other than her just being unfazed by it um which is fine through acting that's you know we we know what's going on but i just would have liked to see a little practicality uh give me some halloween three like super strength skull crushing robots or something just a moment just one moment i don't know that's just the horror guy in me and i get it uh other than that i mean the film's really good it's really good um I don't know if it's a 10 for me, but this is my first watch. Uh, with that said, I'm going to give the Stepford Wives, I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. Bring Love out you. the fembots! <laughs> Bring out the fembots. Thank you, Frau. All right. I got 8.5 out of 10 for Hyderberg. John, what do you say? Um, I can't talk very much because my throat is starting to go oh, again. Sound really um, I hear it. Yeah, do it. Thank you. Can um, you say, oh, you're the champ. You're the oh, master. You're the champ. You're the master. Sorry. Thanks, Barry White. Yeah, exactly. No, my my throat's starting to go. But Sorry. man, um, I I gotta tell you, I did see the remake originally, and it left a really really bad taste in my mouth. So when Jacqueline, you picked this at first, I was very anti it until I watched it. Um, the acting was fantastic. I I think this movie had a lot to say. I do want to watch this movie again. Um, I feel that it it's really important. This is a must watch if you're a horror movie fan. I mean, I know it goes into the sci-fi kind of the fantasy type type feeling, but man, I want to watch this again. I, I want to pick up on those little things, those little nuances. Um, so I'm going to make this really short and sweet. Um, I think this movie is wonderful. Um to me, it's not a 10 out of 10. However, my score could go up. And I'm going to go with Hydraberg. I'm going to give this an 8.5 out of 10 malfunctioning robots. Okay. 8.5 out of 10 malfunctioning robots. Got it. Yeah. yeah sorry, guys. I, <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I, no, no. I'm, you sound I'm, worse. <laughs> I, I, I'm battling through this right now. So. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it, John. We Thank appreciate you. Nicole, what did you. What did you give it, Nicole? A nine. Oh, okay. Nice. Well, we're, yep. we're we're all around the same yeah. similar. 
area here. <clears throat> uh, um, we're we're going a little long, so uh, I do have some interesting trivia, though. Would you guys like to hear some trivia that I'll just try yeah, to blow yeah. through it pretty fast? Always, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely absolutely. want to hear trivia on this one. All right. Yeah. So Ira Levin, the author of the novel, was originally going to write this as a stage play. But then he realized there were too many characters and he decided to turn it into a novel instead, which I think was the right decision. Mm -hmm. um, during an interview, Paula Prentice, who played Bobby, was asked if she thought men secretly want a perfect, you know, so-called perfect wife. And she replied, well, the dumb ones do. <laughs> oh, hey, good for her, Paula. Um, oh, this I forgot to mention this about the book as well. So the black couple that moves into the neighborhood. Oh, we see um, them in the grocery store at the yeah. end. Yeah. And uh, they're so having a the similar argument right and you can tell she's very normal she's mm -hmm. like i want to spend my whole day in the supermarket he's like, but the neighborhood's like, good this is a very nice yeah um so the wife is actually much more important in the book uh so in the movie her her name is um linda but in the book it's ruth ann and she's the author of she's like a famous children's book author and the final chapter of the novel is actually told from her perspective where because like it's it's a third person narrator throughout but you're still seeing it from joanna's perspective mm. until you get to the final chapter and in that final chapter rufan is kind of like um making her observations about stepford and, oh. and whatever and she notices a dramatic change in joanna and so oh, i love it joanna's yeah. it's not like made super explicit that joanna is killed it's like implied that robot bobby kills her but it's not explicit and so it's like it's a little ambiguous, but then in the final chapter, Ruthann is like, oh, that's weird. I saw Joanna today. And she's, you know, and so it's like you you get the last kind of word from her. You know, that's a mean? great choice. When yeah. they speak in the grocery store, they're all like, oh, that's fine. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Fine. Oh, yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And then and and then. But of course, we know that her time will come to, you know, in short order. So mm -hmm. it's, it's going to happen to her, too. Four um, months. Yeah. So the director, Brian Forbes. Um, he was this close to having Diane Keaton play the role of Joanna. And, but she backed out at the last minute because her analyst said that the script had bad vibes. And so she, she backed out because of that. She would have been a great choice, but yeah, I, 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 I like the actress we got. She has a mm. unique look. Yeah. Oh I, yeah. I love Catherine Ross. Um, yeah. Jordan Peele has, openly said get out is very influenced by the stepford wives and he has also openly acknowledged that both the stepford wives and rosemary's baby are some of his favorite movies mm -hmm. so he's a fan uh brian forbes the director said that he found william goldman the screenwriter to be very high-handed and rude and like was resistant to making any kinds of changes whatsoever to his script and got like really pissed when Forbes changed a lot of stuff uh, in his script. And so uh, they just didn't get along. Didn't get along at all. Fun fact, there's there's no way anybody could have noticed this or recognized it. Even when I'm looking for it, I don't even really see it. But um, Charmaine's maid, Nettie, you know, yeah. like she has a, a maid kind of mm -hmm. yeah, she says serving she them and her. stuff. And then later she's like, I fired her. She doesn't do a mm -hmm. good job. I can do it much better. That is the first film role of one of my all-time favorite scream queens, D. Wallace. Oh yeah, that's right, D. Wallace. No shit, you don't see. Really? I was like, where is From she? Oh, Cujo, yeah. ah, the Howling, E.T., the Howling. That's right, she's the mom. In Rob e. Zombie's e. Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. Oh, 
I tell you what, uh, listen, listen really to D Wallace. Yeah. Listen yeah. to D Wallace on a new podcast called oh. Scream Dreams. Okay. Um, it's got James A. Janice. He does uh, the uh, what was it, uh, Dead Meat Count or something like that? Or the, yeah, I know um, what you mean. Yeah, but they they have a new podcast. She's on there and she's analyzing the host dreams, and they're all fucked up and they're crying because oh. uh, it's it's amazing. D Wallace. She's a legend. One of, fa- one of my favorite actors of all time. Mine too. I talked about her a lot uh, a couple years ago, Nicole, on our women in horror, epi- mm-hmm. you know, conversation yeah. on your on your show. Um, she's one of my all time favorites. So she she was Nettie the maid, but you like you don't even really see her yeah. face, like just barely see the side, and only because I was looking for it, I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's deep. but like nobody would you would really never because I saw her in the cast, and then I didn't remember picking her up in the film too. I was like, wait, 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 wait. that's who she is. Uh, at one point, Bobby mentions like, oh, you know, you heard about the Texas tranquilizer or there's something in the water in El Paso. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's happening here. That was a real article um, from 1971 in Time magazine. And it caused like a stir. And you can still find it online if you search for it. It's there. There's also a Stephen King short story called The End of the Whole Mess that talks about that same oh, wow. situation. Is that in Everything's Eventual? Uh, Which collection uh, is that in? Uh, actually, but yes, I think maybe it is, and everything's eventual. That ties in well too, because a lot of people think that this film also speaks on like the a lot of women were being given prescription drugs for depression or whatever mood changes and stuff during this time. Mother's Little Helper, like, yeah, Rolling so, Stone song. You guys know that song, you know? Yeah, so that's that's a thing. Um, timely. So Brian De Palma was originally going to direct this, which I think mm. could have been really interesting. Yeah. That would have been um, interesting. Yeah, mm. after he directed Sisters. Uh, that was well received and so he he was going to be the uh, director for this film but when William Goldman heard about this the screenwriter he was like no because he did not like De Palma's work so he just sounds like a grouch bucket I don't you know I love Princess I like Pride I love you know all the but listen was, creative people like... are difficult the more talented they are the more difficult they are yeah. <laughs> so he sounds like a difficult one did yeah, this so asshole he... not see Carrie come on <laughs> Listen, no, the this came out difficult before. too. So, oh, that's right. Gary came out a year after. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so he thre- so Goldman threatened to quit if Brian De Palma was the director. So then they got Brian Forbes instead. Yeah. It all worked out. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Right, get that other Brian. <laughs> so you guys know I love trivia about who could have played the role. So I already mentioned um, Diane Keaton, but other contenders for this role were Tuesday Weld, Ann Archer, who's gorgeous. Gene Seberg, who I don't know, Susan Sarandon, hmm. Vanessa Redgrave, Julie yeah. Christie, whom you yeah. may remember from Don't Look Now and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. other stuff. Susan uh, Sarandon Jean... would have been interesting. Yeah. Well, that was the same year she did Rocky Horror. Maybe oh. she turned this down in favor of Rocky Horror. Yeah. I don't know. Jane Fonda, Natalie Wood, hmm. Karen Black, who's a horror traitor. Yeah. I'm mad at her, even though she died, but you know. <laughs> Blythe Danner, interesting. Uh, Stockard Channing, Rizzo from Greece. Yes. Jacqueline Bissett, Elizabeth Montgomery, Bewitched, mm-hmm. anybody? Yeah. Olivia Hussey, Black Christmas. Oh, uh, fuck yeah. Shirley MacLaine, uh, and Joanne Woodward, you know, Paul Newman's wife, gorgeous. Jeez, mm. heavy hitters. Right? Yeah, a lot of people are up for this role. So Catherine yeah. Ross really... Uh, they must have got vibes from the script, though. Bad vibes, according to their <laughs> analysts. Oh, my shit, <laughs> said not to do this movie, so I'm not going to... Out of all the actors you just said, I think Olivia Hussey would have nailed this role. Hmm. She's doing Black Christmas right around this time, though, right? It was a year before. A couple years later. Before. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know. I feel like there's like there's a certain like American kind of friendliness and like easygoingness that's like necessary for this role. And Olivia yeah. Hussey's gorgeous and a great actress, but I don't know if she could pull she's not American and I just don't mm-hmm. know if She's also she's, a little more like very refined yeah. and yeah, like yeah. I don't know if she could have that kind of let it all hang out attitude. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, kind of great actress. I just, I don't know. I'd have Joanna. to see it to know. Yeah, nobody really stuck out to me except <laughs> Olivia Hussey. And I went, oh, yeah, she would actually. Boner alert. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Gorgeous. Okay, so yeah. taking the possible casting one step further, um, early on during pre-production, uh, one of the producers suggested that Mary Tyler Moore play Joanna and Valerie Harper play Bobby. Now, I don't know if you guys ever watched the Mary Tyler Moore show. I did. But of course, Mary Tyler Moore played Mary and Valerie Harper played Rhoda and they were best Mm. friends. And of course, Mary is a little more reserved, but Rhoda is like very boisterous and kind of animated. And so these were meant to be kind of like reprisals of those roles Mm -hmm. in this movie. Um, But William Goldman vetoed this decision as being too too comedic. Yeah, that's the thing. I I don't know if we could have I think I don't think we could have had that same deadly serious tone. Yeah, try as they might, those actresses might have had too much like comedic chemistry on screens. Yeah, right. I mean, and they were famous for like a sitcom, and so I just yeah. I don't know. I think I think in this case, Goldman was right to have a hissy fit about it. So, <laughs> um, Roger Ebert gave it a bad review, saying that I read the director. That said that he took it too seriously and could have thrown in some Woody Allen style ironic humor to fit the parody of how men view women. I don't see this as a parody at no. all. It's no, a satire, like a but it's not a yeah. It's it's a satire, but it's not a parody. And yeah. I think to to put a comedic tone on the like a, a sheen of comedy on this would kill the message because it's not funny. It's like it's real. And I just I don't I, I think that would be a failure. Like you, I think a lot of people sometimes misinterpret the parody and satire, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, they're not the same think thing. They're one and the same, yeah. Yeah. So I just uh, I wholeheartedly disagree with uh with old Robert there. Um oh Fuck those guys. Yeah. <laughs> one producer, you know, saw the success of Rosemary's baby and suggested Mia Farrow for the cast for the role of Joanna. Again, I just don't know about that. I yeah. love and you guys know I love Mia Farrow. You know how I feel about Rosemary's baby. I don't think that's the right um choice for that role. And uh, yeah, Hyderberg, you were asking earlier, like, was this movie a success? It was a flop. Mm. I don't really understand why this movie flopped. I don't know if it's just like too uncomfortable for like men and like maybe the women just even though it should have been like warmly received by women. I don't know if maybe women just weren't picking up on that message. I mean, or... a lot of those women still would have had to drag their boyfriends probably to go see this film. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or maybe even women who were comfortable in their, you know, very domestic roles were felt, you know, kind of attacked by the movie. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think was... the movie was sort of misinterpreted. Uh, yeah. So a little bit. Maybe Plus, we don't know what marketing was like either. I don't know. But it, it did not it did not do well. And neither did the 2004 one either. But so the the original is now kind of widely acclaimed. But I don't think anybody really likes the uh, the remake. Or no. it. At it's least like this one. Valuable. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> garnered classic status cult classic yeah this this og one seems more like a cult classic this is a classic yeah yeah um so at the time of the novel's publication uh some critics speculated that this might have been inspired by a short story by ray bradbury called marionettes inc Hmm. 
which is a story about a man who rents life-size robotically powered marionette duplicates of both him and his wife in order to solve their marital problems. And eventually the marionettes destroy their masters and wind up replacing them. So there's there's that. So now I want to go read that. Spoiler alert. Sorry. It also reminds me of uh, the number 12 looks just like you. Yes. Um, Twilight, Twilight Zone, Zone episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's mm-hmm. a lot of really interesting interesting points that parallel it's not just about being a woman it's more about identity but that yeah. episode is whoo love good. it julie harris from the haunting is the star of that one oh, yeah. um yeah <clears throat> she's a uh, eleanor uh this movie also was the inspiration for the 1998 teen thriller disturbing behavior with james marston oh. and katie holmes which i actually haven't seen but love um, it yeah so it's now i want to watch a classic. it classic yes it's like one of those like when I first saw it, like as a teenager, I was like, oh, it's okay. And like over time, I've grown to love it more. Got to watch it. I will. It seems like a throwaway movie. I've, I've never seen it, but I've always had the impression that it's just like a dumb throwaway teen yeah. movie. But It I, is a I guess little it's... bit, but it's better than your average. <laughs> okay. I'll try it then. Um, Pauline Kale, like a very well-known, well-respected uh, film critic, um, she slammed the acting in this movie saying that Catherine Ross, Paula Prentice, and Tina Louise, who played Charmaine, she called them robots playing robots, which I find completely baffling. I was actually <laughs> impressed by uh, Tina Louise's acting because I only know her from Gilligan's Island. Yeah. And she plays like the bimbo ish sort of uh, mm-hmm. woman on that show. There's not much range, I feel like. Um, I, I, I enjoyed her in this. I did. And too. I felt bad for her character when her husband's ripping up the fucking tennis court. That's the one thing she really loved. Yep. That's when you know she's a robot. There's no way she's giving that to him. Yep. Yeah. So, yep. Final final uh, piece of trivia. So, Catherine Ross and Paula Prentice became such good friends during the shoot that when oh, it came nice. time to film the scene where she stabs Bobby, she couldn't bring herself to do it, even though she had, like, a styrofoam, like, thing over her abdomen. And so, um, Brian Forbes, the director, actually ended up shaving his hand and doing the stab himself. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, it's him. I wish it was the purple hand from City of the Living Dead. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I've got for trivia. That's it. Nice. nice. Yep. We did it. So, yep. That is it for the step. We got a couple wives. classics awesome. out of it. Look at this. Look at us. Carrie. I know. Efford Wives. These are big ones. Mm. What better time to do them than during Women in Horror Month? Love it. All right. So next week, Hydraberg, it's your pick. What have you chosen for us to watch? All right, so next week we're wrapping up Women in Horror Month with my pick. We're doing Jennifer Kent's Nightingale from 2018. Uh, we will be joined by Logan of uh, Ghoulish University Podcast Aww. as well. Um, but just a side tangent, I've enjoyed your appearances, both of you guys, on uh, Cinema Slab on uh, their True Detective episodes. Yeah, it's been great that's discussion. been a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, some of your theories, too, have like changed the way I was thinking about what was going on with the show, too. So it was nice to hear other different theories. But yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that's been that's been half the fun, honestly. Like yeah. being on there and then listening to them talk about it. That's been a blast. Mm-hmm. I got to get caught up. Yeah. So yeah, so, so join us next week where we'll be covering uh, Nightingale. I'm excited about that one. I think that's her follow-up film from Babadook. I think mm-hmm. so too. I haven't I never seen got it. To see it. So. Neither did I. Oh, same. Okay. All right. I there are some trigger warnings with this. I do know that much about the film. I think there's some... Really mature subject matter with this one. So, all right. Well, we will tackle it the best we can. Mm-hmm. 
So, yep, Which that room? is that is streaming all over the place. So you can find Nightingale from 2018, directed by Jennifer Kent. Uh, so you guys can look forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, if you feel like emailing us, letting us know your thoughts, you can email us at acutabovehorrorreview at gmail.com. You can also follow us on X at cutabovehorror. You can follow us on a cut of, uh, on Instagram at a cut above one word dot horror underscore review. Also, want to give Nicole the floor. Where can they find you, Nicole? People can find me, uh, Light and Shadow, a horror podcast, uh, on your favorite podcatcher. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Light and Shadow Pod. Just a reminder: my most recent episode is Silent Hill with Jacqueline. Mm. And uh, again, it was a lot of fun. We've already talked about it a lot. So <laughs> please come over, give me a follow, give me a listen, and uh, happy Women in Horror Month. Absolutely. Make sure you check it out. Also, I want to give a quick plug to Hydroberg's other podcast with John and Rob, the Cinemigos podcast. They did Mortal Thoughts this past week. Fantastic episode. You guys ever seen that, that movie? Well. Yes. You have a long time ago. Yeah, long, I had never heard ago. of it. Um, also, want to like give a plug for Light and Shadow Podcast, and Amigos, and a cut above. Make sure you give us those five star ratings on iTunes and Spotify, and wherever you're listening to the podcast, we appreciate you. Also, follow us on Facebook, a cut above colon horror review. All right, fellas, Nicole, thank you so so much for coming on to talk about this movie. I'm so glad you were here for this one. Uh, just we love having you on. You're our fourth member. Ten times. I love being here. (laughs) Ten times. We Mm -hmm. love you. Uh, And fellas, I will see you back here next week talking about Nightingale. And keep it wifey.